Today's episode of The Watch is brought to you by Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order, the new action-adventure game from Respawn Entertainment. Taking place between Star Wars Revenge of the Sith and Star Wars A New Hope, players will wield a lightsaber, hone their force powers, and adventure across the galaxy in hopes of rebuilding the Jedi Order. Become a Jedi in Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order, available now on Xbox One, PS4, and PC, rated T for Teen. I need sports to have to clear the room. Stand up and walk now. Hello and welcome to The Watch. My name is Chris Ryan. I am an editor at TheRinger.com. And joining me today, a tradition unlike any other, it's Andy Greenwald and Sam Esmail. And usually we do a best of the year podcast. This is a best of the decade podcast. Sam, welcome back to The Watch. Hello, hello. Uh, nice to be back. It's a different vibe this year. I it feel is. like rather than it's not, he's not a guest. He's your coworker. He's a colleague. Yeah, he's, he's a peer. A, he's a friend Aren't from we work. All colleagues. Sure. We're yeah. In terms of the discourse. Colleagues. Yeah. Kaya's also here with us Kaya. here. Hello. And we are at the offices where Andy edits and, uh, and Sam as well. And Sam edits his. And, and I want everyone to know what's exciting about this as we do this in early December is that the fifth presence on this podcast is of our shared post producer Greg Tilson, who is so upset. That we are both doing this podcast right now. Yeah. Why? Because you guys have other stuff. Have, yeah, yeah, like, you know, he's got his season finale to edit. I've yeah. got mine. Mine yeah. airs in two weeks. <laughs> I've got plenty of time, so honestly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> One of Sam's favorite things is that um, in the fourth season of his highly acclaimed Emmy-winning show, he has a hard deadline and I don't. <laughs> this is true. It's this great. is true. Um, yeah. So I, we, we're doing Best of the Decade now, partially because everybody else is doing their Best of the Decades. Right. But I also think it would it, we we can't like pass up the opportunity to kind of like look back on everything here. And Sam, you wanted to do best of the decade. Right? I did, I did because I didn't I didn't particularly think it was a strong year. I was struggling to do a top ten, to be perfectly honest. I also wanted wanted to kind of talk about the last ten years because sure. I think TV. I mean, I think this is a pretty critical decade for television, don't you think? Yeah, and I wanted, and I think you're the best person to have talk about it because I was smack in the middle. You, that's what I'm saying. You yeah. started. I mean, you can actually talk us through this better than I can, but just to set it up, you started the decade pursuing films. Yes, you didn't have the highest opinion necessarily of television, or at least you weren't pursuing it. Yeah, and, and that, yeah, midway through this decade, I wouldn't say that I didn't have the highest opinion. It just wasn't my thing. That was procedural. The procedural element wasn't wasn't my thing. Yeah. Right, and so and yet midway through this decade that we're looking back on, you crashed into television right. with a project that had initially been intended for a film. A yeah. film. So talk about your journey through this decade. Well, the, I mean, this kind of segues perfectly into why I wanted to talk about the last ten years because obviously television sort of exploded. The, I think the term peak TV was invented or said for the first time in what 2016, 2017. Um, all the streaming networks. I don't, was Netflix it doing was, originals? House of Cards comes around what, 13? Around 2013. So there was no Netflix television, no, you just, you just, original you television. Rented Fletch and then forgot you had it for six months. <laughs> and, yeah. and, and and then everyone forgets Lilyhammer, their actual right. original sure. first. Yeah. But, but but that wasn't Show. even, was that? that That's was, on my list though. But that, of course. <laughs> exactly. But I remember with the reason, I've, I've said this in multiple interviews, the reason why, the, the, the compelling thing that convinced me to, to change Mr. Robot into a television show is because Steve Golan, 
may he rest in peace. Uh, founder of Anonymous Content. Founder where we of are Anonymous Content, this. who produced Mr. Robot, uh, where we are right now. He showed me True Detective, and it, it was just coming out. Mm-hmm. And I was blown away by the filmmaking and and i i started to feel and i I think it was coming before then right breaking bad there was this sort of sense that television was going to be more serialized from beginning to end yeah so what i mean by that is there are television shows that have serialized narratives for a season but breaking bad was doing it for the entire run of the series they were telling one story from beginning to end game of thrones was sort of doing that even the great shows from the aughts, like The Sopranos, which I love, was not really doing that. I think Lost kind of broke the mold and did that a little bit. Battlestar Galactica did that a little bit. But I thought, oh, here we go. This is where television is trending. So that was more interesting for you as a writer than it was as a director? Because I would think if I saw True Detective and I saw what Carrie Fernando no, was, was directing. Doing. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it was, it was multiple things. I mean, True Detective was just an anthology and it was telling that one story. But it was like the combination of Breaking Bad doing that one complete arc from first season to season finale, plus Carrie doing his thing on True Detective right. with the camera, the combination, it was just so compelling. And I thought, personally, I remember feeling excited. Oh my God, this is where TV is trending. I, however, do not feel that way anymore. I feel like it's, I think it's going back. I mean, don't you think a lot of the shows, and we can talk about it in like the first show on the number on my number 10, I don't feel is getting as much hype as some of the other television shows that are actually kind of skewing back to the more conventional check in with your characters, hang out with them every week. Right. It's less about the serialized storytelling. Well, or, I mean, or, even or, or Netflix is making procedurals now. Aren't or, or, they? or they're hiding Trojan horsing one kind of show, an old fashioned kind of show in something that feels contemporary or feel in a specifically, I'm thinking of Mandalorian, which is basically the A-team or like the 70s Incredible Absolutely. Hulk show yeah. set in the Star Wars universe. Which I love. Yeah. Yeah. But the, the question I had before we get into where we are at the end of the decade was, and not to step too far, too much on the toes of your actual favorite podcast, The Big Picture, Sam. I do it, love that podcast. I, I was wondering if you also felt at the beginning of, the, not the beginning of the decade, in the middle point of the decade, when you were talking to Steve Golan about Mr. Robot, the walls closing in a little bit on what you could do with in the type film. of movies that you wanted to make. Yeah, I don't know how Mr. Robot works as a feature. I don't know if it does anything. I don't know if it gets made, and even if it gets made, does it do anything at the box office? Right. No clue. I mean, and by the way, I think, doesn't Michael Mann try and somewhat do that with a big movie star with Chris Hemsworth? Bla- with Black Hat. Black Hat, yeah. and, yeah. you know, no one no one saw it. So Chris, I th- Chris saw it. I saw it oh, in you the did. theater. Yeah. How was it? <laughs> I actually have never seen it. Uh, it's pretty bad, oh. yeah. But okay. I would watch it again. I mean, it's it's definitely got like five things where you're like, you, holy shit. But then there's also like, I have no idea what the plot of this movie By is. By the way, it is crazy to me that a Michael Mann movie exists and I haven't seen it. I, I'm a huge you're, Michael you're Mann slipping. fan. I'm slipping. But that, I mean, that, that was the eye-opening thing when Golan approached me about going into TV. It just felt more exciting. Like putting aside the fact that could I beg and plead and get Mr. Robot out there as a feature, maybe, but it it didn't feel as exciting as being on TV in 2015. Well, I think that there's the two tracks. I don't know if, but but by the way, I don't know if I feel that way anymore. Anyway, go ahead. So wait, I I definitely want to know why you don't feel that way anymore. And, but, but I think that there's two tracks to this conversation. There's the behind the camera and in the writer's room way of making television that changed. And then obviously this, one of the things that you and I are kind of obsessed with is 
the way how we talk about television and how we interpret television has changed over the years, where it's gone from during that peak TV period, it seemed like it played like a really central part of people's lives because there was a regularity to when we were all watching it and when we were all talking about it. And there was still that kind of, you could mile mark your life by like when this show was coming right. back on and when it was With, airing the, during the week. There was a moment when the way we're communicating over the internet was at a certain place and the way that shows were being delivered and distributed was at a certain place and they overlapped mm -hmm. also with a, with fewer choices, you know? And it, we had these shows that felt, at least to us, like consensus, monoculture kind of events, or at least the type of people who listen to podcasts like this felt that Pretend way. That way yeah. And then post-Netflix boom, I think there's just, you know, there's exceptional stuff everywhere, but that shared experience has decreased considerably. And I, and I don't know, you know, I'm curious if, for example, if the shows that we all have, if there are a couple shows that are probably on all of our lists. And I wonder if those shows are from earlier in the decade or from later in the decade when things got a little more personalized and a little more niche. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I, mean, I would almost argue, I bet, well, I don't know. Cause we, we disagree on a lot of stuff, but I would bet that we have several that we share from the earlier part of the decade yeah. and then the later part of the decade is where our tastes seem to diverge a lot. Well, but the, but I, weirdly right. enough, that's what I'm talking about. It feels like the, these last several years, TV has sort of skewed back towards this more traditional, less about the serialized narrative and more about hanging out every week with your favorite characters and that's where our taste of I, that I, that's where i think we started to disagree on our top 10 list hmm. because you you guys I, or I'll, I'll say chris i mean you you as well like yeah. you i think you guys like tv you like that old-fashioned old tv i do yeah, i love do. it I, I i agree and disagree with you i do think that that old-fashioned type of tv show might be the next market inefficiency because we swung so far away from it just Maybe. like make a hospital show make a yeah make yeah. a make a cool hangout show every week you know set in the world of spies or corporate finance or whatever the next thing is that's gonna it's gonna break through um let me write this down that said corporate finance <laughs> i was just give it that's a gift that's a i'm dropping gems here that, that first one's free but I was thinking about the decade in relationship to the decade before, and maybe it's my more conventional TV brain or what I still sort of want and love in TV. This last decade for me is stronger. It's just stronger in terms of series, like series that I would come back to or that I would hold up like the multi-season DVD box set of and say, this is almost unimpeachable. There are very few ongoing non like event shows from this decade that I think match up with the top five or six of the previous decade. That said, the specific highs of this decade, whether there's something like Twin Peaks, which we're obviously going to talk about, or some of these serialized one-and-done shows are totally unlike anything that sure. came before, and they are better. And so for me, that's kind, of the, that's kind of the dividing line between the decades. And we should say, we will give a full rules that we came up with for this, as usual, arbitrary rules. But which I think, are, by the way, like, should be the rule. I, I, I've been seeing a lot of top 10 lists that are including shows that from the previous like mad decade. Yeah, that yeah. makes yeah, no we, sense we, to me. We, for the purposes of our list... So NYPD are, Blue should not be on no, my list then. No. Okay. Nothing that started pre-2010 could be on our list, even if it ran successfully into this decade. Yes. So That's there right. is no Mad Men on our list. There is no, no Breaking, Breaking Bad on our list. No Very Parks frustratingly, no Eastbound down on my list. That was the one that Chris and I were so <laughs> excited to, to cape up for, and it debuted in, in 2009. What genre did better for you this decade? Comedy <laughs> <or> fucking crime. <laughs> crime. Yeah. Crime. Yeah. So drama. I mean, I was drama. just saying comedy versus drama. I, oh, you, yeah, drama. But like, See, yeah. I think comedy completely innovated itself. Well, I think year. comedy became more fluid. Like the half hour became a more interesting there, shows format. Shows like Master of None, yeah. Atlanta, 
Better Things, Louie, dare I say it. Those shows did not. I mean, I'd never seen comedies do that. The, the innovation this in decade. the decade was in the half hour format for sure. But in terms of comedy, it's that old fashioned brain. There was nothing from this decade that I would put up against like The Office or 30 Rock or these shows that are actually the things that people you still watch. You wouldn't put Atlanta up against those. I wouldn't shows. compare them. They wouldn't I mean, be the same thing. They're not thing. trying to do the same thing. They so, are not. And that's what I'm saying. I feel like comedy has totally. That style of comedy though, yes. from the previous decade. Sure. I don't think that anything in that style nothing in that style made my list so we i I think that one thing that i've i've been kind of fascinated by especially in this sort of the peak era where we're getting a lot of great stuff but it almost feels like the way we're getting it way we're receiving it we're getting it from places like amazon we're getting it from places like netflix from disney but even though hbo and amc are not exactly like independent film studios or like some sort of like wild west you know collective of artists there was like a promise in 2012, 2013, especially coming out of the 20, the, early, the first decade of that century, where whether or not like you wanted to say it, it reminded some people of like uh, independent cinema from the 80s and 90s or whether it was like kind of a return to the ethos of New Hollywood with like Robert Altman and stuff like that. Mm. But that at least we had tricked ourselves into thinking there was like this brave new world and now it kind of like feels a little bit more like traditional corporate mass entertainment making even if it feels funky right yes do you, do you buy that i like is I, it the promise of what you thought it was going to be versus where it ended up that you're sort of talking about i don't i mean i, I are we are you saying like it's akin to franchise feature filmmaking except now in television form it's not even that it's it's more like even the things that I think are genuinely funky and weird, like something like Undone or Bojack or something like that, right. it it almost feels like those are like full on experiments rather than like they are like niche audience right. plays rather than like Chinatown and yes. Clockwork Orange, yeah, and- like or something that felt like now that that could also be like my biases speaking, you know, where I'm like, well, Mad Men really spoke to like a much larger universal thing than BoJack, which is not, the, you know, like that's not necessarily the case, right? Right. But it does feel like the aim was higher, maybe, or a little earlier in the decade. And you feel like now it's turned into exercise. I think it's exercises. more. It's. I think it's a little bit more like there's a smaller room that I know I'm talking to with this show, and it only has to satisfy. Uh, I I see. The biggest, I mean, that's the, that's a fair point, actually. I think, especially with streaming networks, yeah, it's not about necessarily getting. I mean, I think they would like to have the mass mainstream audience, but it's also about being very specific and very targeted, and also about, you know, I think to a certain extent they're trying to build up cachet, right? So they want shows that are just going to hit a certain critical acclaim or, or right. prestige. I mean, weirdly, that matters more when these services are launching because yeah. that gives them a foothold and it gives them credibility. It gets, them, gets, it gives them them, ta- gets people talking and about And it gives them, them relationships gets with people. Gets you two talking about on the podcast. That's why we've but, been spending so much time talking about Jason Momoa's C. <laughs> but the most important... Wait, have you guys seen that? Yeah, I saw the first one. I was born blind. I yeah. never saw it. But the, but the two most... I was going to say... the probably Apple the, Plus blindness. <laughs> we, the, the two most impactful or at least influential shows of this decade. Like, can, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead, Andy. But I, I do have to talk about Apple TV because... Go for it. Okay. Is there a case better than Apple TV going back to traditional television? That's, I mean, I mean that is like, what they're doing. Yeah. That is, right? Yeah. I mean, am I wrong in that? There's like, interesting tonally. stuff happening in those shows, but even the package of Apple TV Plus is like, what if we told you 
this would be basically more or less what it felt like to watch ABC on Correct. a Wednesday 15 years ago, but no commercials because, and huge stars. Because, yes. Look, you could you could look at this. We can we're going to go through this list and we're going to talk about a lot of high-minded stuff like the Twin Peaks revival. We're going to talk about keep, it, keep it, hammering Twin Peaks, brother. I, I will never stop. Not on Chris's list. But we're going to talk Spoiler about, you know, alert. Atlanta and these in these shows that were just mind-blowing for us and excited and, and and creative. But the three here here probably when you when you pull back far enough, the three most important and influential shows of this decade, all of which debuted had debuted by 2011, the very beginning of the decade. Number one, Walking Dead. Uh, these are not debut? on my list, but Walking Dead debuted in 2010. Wow. And I remember at, you know, when I was just started writing for Grandland, when we launched the site in 2011, and I was writing about it, and I interviewed Sean Ryan, who had had this, who continues to have a great career and made a show that is on my list and The Shield from the previous decade, said that this, to him, was the Jaws moment, right? This was the blockbuster moment when the promise of the 70s cinema and TV was like, oh no, we can actually get these ratings sure. and play with this pool, so we're going to chase that. And then Game of Thrones comes a year later. Right. And all of these services, now that they've got their Emmy-winning Mrs. Maisel's or whatever, are going to now spend a billion dollars on Lord of the Rings. The other show that I would say, make an argument for, is the most influential show of this decade, is 25 years old, and that's Friends. Because... All we could talk about, you know, secret things on Netflix like Collateral and Dark, all we want. But the majority of people on yes. Netflix are watching Friends, right? And yeah. that's the information that's going to influence TV going backwards. And I, and by the way, I think that has a lot to do with this. Exactly, this that's pendulum what people swinging back. Yeah. yeah, is that like people are seeing that what people actually want is a nightlight? But, but a are you guys nightlight? Yeah, are you guys bummed out about this? Or I getting this? I'm getting this sense that. You're, that's cool. I'm not. With you I'm not mad because there's so much. Because it's not cool with me. The industry I, is so big. I was so big. excited. I, there's room for all of it. That's the thing. Is that like there's? I don't think. I don't if there's so. 700 shows on and 300 of them feel more or less like TV, and then there's like a. I mean, I don't know what the numbers are, but it feels like when I look when I did my top 10 for this year alone, I, there was an embarrassment of choices. I felt like there was an. Oh, so like, you had the exact opposite reaction. But you haven't. Did you? Did you feel like you watched a lot? Of stuff I haven't. On TV no, this year? to be fair, I haven't. But I haven't also been that curious or interested in a lot, a lot of stuff. Right. Look, the one show that I did put on my list that's from this year, and we'll talk about. I don't think you guys loved it. I don't think you saw it, Andy. I'm looking at you. Euphoria. Yeah, I didn't. And see I, that. I don't think you loved it that much. I it's, really enjoyed it, though. But it's crazy to me that that is not. To me, it is. The best show of the year by a mile. Euphoria. Euphoria. The film, I mean, it's unparalleled. The filmmaking is unparalleled. What other show is doing what they're doing with filmmaking, with camera, with sound? And and honestly, the acting. I mean, I actually have with an Hunter answer. Hunter Schaefer and, and Zendaya. The, the performances are I outstanding. I, I really, really, really like Euphoria. But like, this is kind of the interesting conversation is that to me, Too Old to Die Young See, so I would have too old to die young. I saw the first episode and loved it, and then and I need to return back to it. I right. think so. I think that would have been on my list. So too. I mean, but that that's a good example of there actually is stuff like that. It's just that there's so much. But no of it. one's. T- but this is my point. Those aren't the popular but shows. Is there anymore. a world where that I, would I, ever I, be the popular show? What, what I think, universe? I think in 2015, 2016, if Euphoria had come out then. We'd, we'd be talking okay, but about. I just it want to make the distinction. When you say the popular show, you're talking about the show that we would be talking about. Not the people who would be watching Friends would instead be watching Euphoria. I don't know. Euphoria, the, Kai, yeah. do you watch Euphoria? Yeah, I loved Euphoria. It was really good. Well, there you go. So she's our she's so our, Kaya, who Kaya is the producer of a television <laughs> podcast. Well, I, standing look, in for the real look, America. How many, I've 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 look, I've scanned the top ten lists of the of the year. Okay. 
it is not on a lot of lists. I think that's insane to me. I, I and I and I think that in the shows that I do read that is on that list. I, I'm just it's it's a, again it's euphoria is not comfort food. You do not watch euphoria no. and check out and go on your yeah. Twitter or whatever. Which is why I didn't it's watch not, it when I was in production because I could not psychologically <laughs> right, handle it. Right. But so you're on a, an episode of Friends or whatever. But but my point is is that I don't think that would have been the case five years ago. I think euphoria would have been. This talked about way but, more, and it would have been on, you know. But what it, I what it, I hear when you're like, saying this, do you this, think it's going to get any? Uh, you know, not that this necessarily yeah. matters. Do you think it's going to get any nominations? No, none. That's incredible to me. But here's that's awful. But you to know, me. just as well as anybody, when you're out here, it's like the half of that stuff is just like glad handing and doing sure, dinners sure, and stuff like that. Sure. I mean, there's like, also so much stuff. And what I hear with, with your argument is that there's just suddenly an overabundance of choices at the high end part of the buffet. That the shows that are fighting for the relatively small section of critical attention from people who you know don't want comfort food or you know want challenging filmmaking or all the things that you value very highly and we sometimes value, depending on your opinion of what we're talking about. But <laughs> uh, but that there are just more choices. There. I do love that Chris stands for Till to Die Young. I mean, that's that's Singular fucking TV. awesome. I, right, and, but 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 the, I'm saying ten years ago how many choices were at the very, very high end? There were fewer. And so the same people were the same, all the critics were talking about the same five best shows. And now your potential choices for shows competing in that end of the pool, which has a limited ceiling in terms of general viewership, is so much more fierce. But, but the shows that break through and do, get on the top five on every list that I've, I've read, right? I, I, it's shocking to me that that's what's considered better than, for example, Euphoria. By the way, another show that's yeah. on my list, Mindhunter. Well, David fucking Fincher is knocking it out of the park. I mean, both seasons. But Sam, the reason are why Mindhunter and no one on talks a lot of people's it. list is because we all like. I only knew Mindhunter season two. If I wasn't a critic or wasn't like yeah. doing this podcast, there was one billboard. On like Coenga, let, let, let's, like let's let's start eight, to transition six. into yeah. the sh- list let's do it. because but, this but is like, something that's on all of our list. Wait, but, but that's and crazy. I, but why are other shows? You're saying because there are because more billboards. Not getting advertised before Game of Thrones the way Euphoria is. Also, like, I but uh, wait, hold on a second. Yeah. Hold on a second because I I gotta say this excuse about it's not being marketed. I don't think that's what it is. I think. It's not a fun show to. I mean, I think it's a fun show, but I don't think it's an easy show to watch in the I background. Don't think a lot I think that is what's being more valued right now. And I'm, I'm kind of curious. Like, what do you think are the top five shows that everyone's talking about this season? The same think, ones. Everybody's talking about the same shows. Think about them and think about how easy they are to watch. Wait, I, I feel like that's. Let's. I want to stand Mine Hunter, which I find incredibly riveting to watch. Like, oh, I do too. Joyful yeah. to watch. I do too. I don't find it unsettling. I mean, I find it unsettling, well, but I don't yeah. find it. Um, uh, I hope you find it unsettling. It's unsettling it, it, that it, you don't find it unsettling. You know what I mean? <laughs> I look forward to watching it. I don't feel like it's homework to watch it. Uh, I relate it, it, to all but, the characters but, 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 being interviewed in the prisons. Wait, but here's the thing there's a scene in Mindhunter where three people are having a long conversation okay. in a car, and the guy who's doing most of the talking is in the backseat and is out of focus. Yeah. It's fucking riveting. It's amazing. It's the it, the direction, the writing, the performances. Everything is like top notch. You cannot do the dishes and watch that scene. You just can't. You can't. You can't be on Twitter and watch it. You got to watch it. And I think that's the difference. I think to me that is the major difference there. I don't want to discount that part of it, but I do want to say. And so on. It's number five on my decade list. It's on 
it's on your list as well. It is. I don't know what number um, I'm check. It does feel to me, I don't know if whether it's an indictment or it's a just a comment on the state of television in 2019 that this is a luxury product that exists and it is slaved over. I mean, it is so beautifully so, made. It, I, I, I am dazzled by it because, you know, a David Fincher show on television should we're be. Gonna, we're we're going to, well, I'm going to say we would watch it no matter what. The fact that it is so brilliantly written, so brilliantly performed, the production designer, every actor that I've never seen before or heard of on that show is delivering like Hall of Fame worthy performances. Yes. Um, and no one talks about it. And part of that, I think, is the Netflix dumping method. It just appeared two years after the first season on people everyone's phones. People talk about other Netflix shows, Andy. But you know, to they build a different season, reasons, and the way that I think the second season is a huge step up from the first season, which I adored. Uh, yes, um, I would agree with that. that it doesn't, doesn't have room in the culture to be like, oh, wait a second. Oh, hey, wait a second. Catch up. Catch There's up. also, Here I we think, go. a little bit of fatigue with period pieces. I do think that there is some, to, to some extent, like a lot of the shows that I feel like really captured, like not the zeitgeist, but really caught on this year, at least either in, like they were critically acclaimed or conversationally, it seemed like they were dominant. Name, sh- na- name some of the shows. Like Fleabag. Okay, but like Fleabag is an easy show. It's really easy. I, I, I really like Fleabag. I actually, probably in the minority, I'll say I loved the first season more than the second season. Uh-huh. But I still... Sorry, I have to take my shirt like, off. That take was too hot. <laughs> you feel like you could just have Fleabag on in the background That's and then an, look up. That was an easy watch for me. It's so lovely. It's so pleasurable. It's not... It's not... That is... Uh, it's not... Cha- is it... Cha- would you consider that a challenging show to watch? Not I think intellectually that that's it's good- challenging. I think intellectually it's like the okay. things that they're talking okay. about and the name, way in name, which the, is, the story is, is Fleabag told? on anyone's list? It's not on my best. It's not on my list. my number two. Whoa! Wait, we should... We're, we're, we're starting to yeah, step we're, too much on the spoiling. list. Let's start. Let's right, start. Before we get into the numbers. Kaya, yeah. is Fleabag on your list? Yes. Good job, Kaya. Wow. Thank I you. Completely... The alignments are only shifting constantly in this room. A <laughs> um, couple rules that we were going to say for our ground rules. Uh, we already said the one about timing. The show had to have debuted in 2010 or later. Um, Which again, is the only, only sensible way. rule we that also, anyone making a top 10 uh, of the decade should you, follow. Sam, one of Sam's requested rules was no Sam Esmail shows. On no, the same show. This is always your rule every year. Yes. So, so no, Mr. Robot. No, Mr. Robot. No uh, homecoming. No homecoming. No Briar. Pa- oh. No Briar Patch trailer, <laughs> which I had thought about putting early. I followed. Your By the way, have you seen any of the Briar Patch episodes? Chris? I've seen the pilot. You just saw the first. One. Is he allowed to talk about it? Can I ask him about yeah, it? Yeah, you can. Yeah. What, what did he, you think of the pilot? I loved it, but I saw it like a while ago. I think. You that, saw, oh, you saw it like I saw it after they shot the pilot. Okay. So I, I think I saw it before you went to New Mexico. Did you ever see the final version of it, or no. did you see that he came to a, like a friends a, and family like reading before okay. we changed? It. Got yeah, it, got it. I gave some notes before, before we made it more in the traditional sitcom format that that was controversial <laughs> with Sam. But I think it's going to go like, really you know, well. The laugh for track it. It, it might not play. It might um, not play. I did follow your rule, Sam. Also, I didn't. Um, I mean, Fargo probably would have ended up on my list, but because I had worked with Noah, okay. I, I didn't fight. Okay. Where are all list? these rules? You guys doing I didn't, like cloakroom deals? Is this like we, Warren we, Hatch we and Mitch McConnell? Like, building. <laughs> we, we get stuff done. Yeah. Other rule was uh, no nonfiction, unscripted shows. Which, yeah, because otherwise Made in America would have easily made my list. Probably I in the must top admit, three. I must have just glazed over that part of the email. So yeah. I did have one in my top 10. And it's one I, I would have agreed I with. can take it out and put something you else. Say you, do you have one right now? parts unknown. Which I think is deserving. Oh, okay. I've never watched that But unfortunately, it broke the rule. Yeah. So your turn off his mic, Kaya. <laughs> He's Let's, done. Uh, so what we'll try to do as we do for these, uh, do you have any more rules and regulations you want to? Um, I wish I did, but no, I think that's We're in pretty... an era of rolling back regulations, I thought. Oh, that's right. <laughs> you know, we're, this is, we're not letting big business grow. We're going to go from 10 to 1. 
In okay. certain cases, if you hear a show and you're like, I have that much higher, we can hold the conversation for the higher parts of it if you want to. Okay. Sam is our guest. Why don't you start with your number 10? Well, I already said that's euphoria. I'd promise you if I could be a different person, I would. Not because I want it, but because they do. But here's the thing. One day, I just showed up without a map or a compass. And at some point, you have to make a choice about who you are and what you want. Best show by far of the year. And honestly, would be higher on my list. But because it's it's only been the first season... And because of the recency bias, I just felt like I'll, I'll I'll keep it low for now. But I mean, again, I, I mean, I've already said it. It the best filmmaking on television. It's the, I, and I, it, but I find that you just not to ahead, restart this argument. Pretty traditional, like plotting. Like it is a teen drama with an A, B, and C plot every week. I mean, I guess, I guess in a way that's true, but it's done with such innovation. I mean, to me, I, I don't need the plot. To, I, I've, I've kind of, I've probably said this on this show before. Like your post plot, fuck plot. Yeah, who gives a fuck about plot? <laughs> I mean, to me, it's thank, it. Thank, I just want to say, as a producer working for you, thank God. <laughs> <laughs> thank God, that's your opinion. I mean, you know, yeah. uh, you know more than anyone that I don't give a shit about plot, right, Andy Greenwald? Um, that's why we still we're still working together. <laughs> but <laughs> to me, like you know. It's a visual medium, right? And it's an experience. That's what you're asking for anytime you, you you turn it on. And that show delivers every week. And you know, they've you know, some episodes are better than others, but consistently when I turn it on, I know I'm going on I'm going on a ride. And I just I don't think any other show this year comes close to that. Now, putting aside the fact that I did see the first episode of Too Old to it's Die. It's okay. I, I wouldn't. It, Too Old to Die Young will definitely age you. So I, you should just <laughs> pick a time like in your third act of Irishman part of your life to watch it and just accelerate everything then. I just don't think, I, uh, yeah, for me, and, and, and I'm not mentioning, you know, the cinematography is amazing. The music is great. You know, the, the composition is great. But also the, the performances. Is there a better performance, better than Hunter Schaefer this year? I mean, I'm sorry. I, I know you're gonna probably you probably do have an answer for that, but the answer is no, there isn't. As someone Hunter Schaefer, as the only person in this room who Zendaya doesn't know who Hunter Schaefer is. is. Yeah. And yet is somehow still hosting this podcast with you, Chris. I, I can't answer that directly. All right. Kaya, would it be is it is Euphoria on your list? No. It's not on my top ten list just because for the same reasoning it's so new. Too recent. And like too recent, and I'm not really sure what they're gonna do with season two. But I did like truly love it. It was just, yeah, as you said, really beautifully shot. I heard a lot of people making comparisons, like shot like a music video. Yeah. Felt kind of like you're like living in an Instagram filter at some point, which was like interesting. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, the performances were amazing. Uh, it was interesting because I watched the first episode and it was like really hard to get through. Yeah. And I almost didn't pick it back up. Well, there you go. And then I watched the second episode and I waited again like a couple weeks because I was like, I don't know if I want to keep watching. This is like hard to but watch. But then you like kind of got But then I it. went back to it and I ended up binging but, but the rest then, of the season. That, that's... You took the edge off with a couple eps of Chernobyl. <laughs> <laughs> and you're like, now I can go back. Uh, all right. So that's number 10 is Euphoria for Sam Greenwald. What's your number 10? Are we, oh, Kaya, what's your yeah. number 10? Uh, my number 10 is Unbelievable. I know this is hard, but I need to ask you some questions about what happened. He tied my hands. He said if I screamed, he'd kill me. No signs of forced entry. Doors and windows were locked. No DNA. 
Not a single neighbor saw or heard a thing. He brought a blindfold, but nothing to tie her with. Would a shoelace even hold her? You think Marie made up the attack? I'm pretty positive that it happened. Pretty positive or positive? They just kept asking me the same question. How come your story doesn't add up? I wanted to go home. I don't have a victim here. It's bogus. She made it up. I haven't nice. seen this. I keep um, that was in my top 10 of the year. Top 10 of the decade. Unbelievable. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. Because I feel like it's the first crime show that I've watched that doesn't feel exploitative huh. and is also like female-centered. I've never watched like a procedural crime drama like that that was like centered on female story with female detectives and also did not feel like they were taking advantage of anyone. And I think that's a lot of my reluctancy with the genre of true crime is that it feels like you're taking advantage, but that was not the case. Did you show. did you ever see the killing? Mm-mm. Andy I mean, saw the killing. Did you not like the killing? Uh, the first season. Check my recaps on okay. Vulture. <laughs> Even the first season did not like. No, it. I would the, the show I would suggest in in a similar vein. I mean, is Happy Valley a British show? Oh yeah, it was a really or Broadchurch. Brilliant. Although, yeah, I but ha- a, Happy Valley in terms of the the, the, the more feminist detective. slant yeah, yeah. to the to the investigation, yeah, which I really show. love. My number ten is a, a one season wonder from 2010 called Terriers. It's too big for both you guys. Are you saying we're small time? What if we're actually big time and just didn't realize it? I'm putting the house up for sale. I want the house, Chris. What are you doing buying a house? You can barely afford lunch today. How are you going to pay for a mortgage? You lost your marriage in that house. You're getting married again. Yeah. So you two are partners. We're only recognizing Vermont and Massachusetts. It won't bounce. Your checks always bounce. Your life bounces. Go home, Hank. You're not a cop anymore. So stop pretending to be one. So, uh... You're not a cop anymore, right? Not anymore. You know, for a second I thought you were undercover, but now I realize you just dress like that. I had to represent with it. This was a show that, honestly, I have not revisited in a couple years. And if you, if you, if you, if and when people come at me on Twitter and it's like, are you, you really like Terriers more than Veep or other shows that, that didn't make my list but came very, very close, I don't know if I could be honest with you about it, but I loved it so much. And I loved it so much in the way that I loved television when I was younger. In that this was a, but it felt, pointed forward towards what the decade would be. It came too early, basically. For people who don't know it, it was a one-season show on FX about two buddies who ran a detective agency. And it felt, in the beginning, like it was just, this could run forever. It's a procedural-type show. It's in a beach town by San Diego, and one guy's a recovering alcoholic, and one and the other guy's a thief. But as the season went on, you realized that it was kind of a load-bearing vessel. It could handle all kinds of storytelling and was primed to enter into this decade where it could have been much more heavily serialized but it, it had a name that people didn't, under, didn't understand. It was a few years too early. It was and on FX? It was on FX, yeah. yeah. And I just feel like it did capture so well the promise of the decade as a, and, and the, what I've loved about previous decades. And it just ended too soon. And ending too soon is not something a lot of shows have happens just one anymore. season, right? It was a one season. Okay. And it um, works did, as one season. It ends it really, really well. I did, yeah. I loved it. I mean, it was a really delightful show. Uh, in, in much the same vein, my number 10 is probably the most old-fashioned uh, here show we, here, on it. Here we go, Kaya. Buckle, uh, up. Buckle up. Justified. 30 seconds. In front of all these people, you're going to pull out a gun and you're going to shoot an unarmed man. 20 seconds. So what are you going to do? 10. You do know that we're not allowed to shoot people on sight anymore? It was justified. Uh, which I thought well, was FX, um, an FX. Yeah, and you know, it's funny. I, I 
obviously loved it when it was on, but I revisited it a little bit after Once Upon a Time in Hollywood because obviously a lot of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, there's a lot of homages to like old 50s and 60s TV westerns, which Justified essentially is modeled after. I mean, it's it's based on Elmore Leonard's writing, but it, a lot of the structural stuff feels very much like it was, uh, you know, the case of the week, at least in the first season. Then as the seasons went on, it kind of got more of that like serialized, like long form storytelling style. But I would say line for line, it's got the best dialogue of any show of the decade. And so that's why I'm putting it in there. And also probably one of my favorite lead performances by Timothy Oliphant. All right. So Sam, number nine. The Leftovers, which I assume is going to be on your list. On my list. So should we wait? We we should hold it for when it comes up on your list. What's your number nine, Kaya? Big Little Lies. Big Little Lies. (laughs) Wow. Everybody wants to prove who's the richest. We're talking about viciously competitive people. And at the root of it was Madeline. Exactly how psychotic do you think I am? He's a lot younger than her. Celeste. She must be pretty, you know. So bad. We are so bad. Jane just didn't fit here. Thought it was nice for the nannies to get to know each other. Not a Jane is not a nanny. Kind of like a dirty old Prius parked outside of Barney's. She's a mom. She's young. Like you used to be? Like we used to be? (sighs) Bitch. Ticking bomb. I'll leave it at that. Itty bitty ball of rage. Battle lines were drawn. Things never blow over. They blow up. Boom. I love Big Little Lies. I do too. It's like truly enjoyable to watch. And honestly, like when I watch TV, I skew towards stuff that's truly just fun. Easy to watch. Easy to watch. Yeah. And also like, I feel like it was really the first show where it was like, let's hang out with your favorite movie stars every week. And like season one was much, much better than season two, in my opinion. But yeah, and beautifully shot. I grew up like an hour from Monterey. And so like… I connected with that a lot. And yeah. Just, Did you spend your childhood staring out into the ocean wearing a beautiful sweater? <laughs> and listening to your iPod headphones? But, but, I, but I'll say, you know, there are a lot of potentially really interesting lists that we could have also done. Um, one of which being like best single seasons of shows, which would have made, I think, all of our lists slightly different. Um, but in terms of like significant shows, top 10 of the decade, in terms of the future of the industry, Big Little Lies has to be on it. Just in terms of the giant swing, giant movie stars, limited event series, and then they're like, "Well, why don't we just throw more just money at it and it. keep doing it?" Yeah. There's no, there's, there are no rules anymore. But, but about by the stars way, this, is, this is an example of what I was talking about. I mean, I don't you think Big Little Lies? It's a little bit like what Kaya just said. It's you get to hang out with your favorite movie stars every week. It is. I love that. I mean, this is something. But, that, that but, but I'm, I'm, whether I'm not. I'm not putting a no. You're right. Thing but the on idea it, but it, we it used to see sk- Reese Witherspoon once every eighteen months for yeah. two hours. Yeah. And now we've seen. There's two shows with her this year. Where you, see, right. you have Morning Show right. and Big Little Lies Season 2. Right. Where you can have but, four, but 14, a, 22 hours of research. It's an expensive dynasty, right? It's an expensive... Yeah, I think the cross. first season is actually quite moving. I mean, like in places. So I, I really enjoy the first season. But, but And I think we could save this conversation for when I'm not on the mic and Sam and you and Chris review the first season of Briar Patch. But <laughs> foundationally, <laughs> well, one I of the things wait. that I care most about in TV is that idea of People sit on their couch Hanging to see out. their friends. Yeah. And I think that buys you a lot of goodwill and you totally. know, and it takes you away. It's, it's another way to engage with a show that's not plot. And it actually, if, you, if you're along for the ride with these people, you might overlook certain uh, lacunae and plot mechanics. <laughs> so nine for you is Leftovers, nine for Kaya, Big Little Lies, Andy. Uh, a show that is probably on people's lists and we should probably get into it, which is Game of Thrones. Yeah. That's uh, you want to do it now? Yeah, let's do it. Have you heard of it? Yeah. <laughs> it's, um, it's number seven on mine. What, what number is it on yours? It's number one. 
What? Yeah. Curveball. Whoa. Yeah. yeah. Chris Ryan. Yeah. Enemies to the east. Enemies to the west. Enemies to the south. Enemies to the north. Whatever stands in our way, we will defeat it. Go ahead, explain <laughs> yourself. Just binge Ryan. mode once. Mallory <laughs> yeah, and Jason aren't here. Kai, you don't is it have on your list? This. No, I've never seen Game of Thrones. <laughs> Whoa! This is one of my favorite things about Kaya. She she produced every episode of The Watch for the last. I few honestly seasons. don't know if there is a person in the world who has listened to more bin, like Game of Thrones content. I mean, yet she has not watched it. You can't watch it now, right? Do you feel like you could? I've watched like half a season. I just it does You're not. not yeah, it does you, not connect. I wish like we could just give you a Microsoft Word document open and have you write the story of Game of Thrones. It's like if someone who had never seen a horse and you asked them to draw a horse, like it's, what would it look like? It's like those memes that go around where like they have an algorithm, like watch like 70 yes. hours of TV and then spit out like a TV show. That would be my Game of Thrones You could talk. do it. Do you want to do the Game of Thrones talk now or you want to wait till later? I think we're ready to do it. Yeah. Right. I would say that this show is now underrated because wow. of the, the way people felt about the last season. I think that it's basically the Star Wars of television. So whether or not you kind of loved it or liked it or didn't like it or you may not even like what it meant to TV, I think it changed television forever and it changed what okay. television could be forever. Let but me ask you a question. I agree with you. I think it is Whether or not that makes it good? Well, no, no, no. I'm saying I think it is the Star Wars of television. Is Star Wars number one on the top movies of the 70s? I, I'm just throwing out I'm things. Just, yeah, I'm just throwing out. Well, Because no. I, I agree with you. I think Game of Thrones changed the game i mean it it is block it is a r-rated violent adult fantasy yeah. show like that i've never uh, thought that that would be possible i would also just point out by the way ex by the way they spent a fuckload of money on it and it had a huge audience it was crazy i thought that i i think i've i've come to appreciate it even more in the time since people have started ripping it off a little bit you know, in the time since you've seen more shows that are like, we're going to try and do a Game of Thrones or we're trying to capture the Game of Thrones vibe here. And also, like, just going back through it, I think it provided some of the most captivating, breathtaking moments Absolutely. in pop culture of the decade. It was routinely, like, brilliantly written. The fact that it was able to take such, like, arcane kind of, like, really, like, hard fantasy situations and make it just be like, wow, I'm deeply emotionally invested into whether or not Tyrion gets out of this room or not. And the fact that for as many of the set pieces that they had and all the like takeaway where you're like, oh, wow, that action scene is probably the best thing I've seen in any screen this year. I would still say my favorite parts of it were still the people talking to each other in rooms, making, you know, shaping power and shaping this. And this don't forget, world. I think the filmmaking in Game of Thrones. Phenomenal. It was phenomenal. It was phenomenal. So it, yeah, it, Thrones is one for me. Yeah. It's also... And, I, and I'm curious Sam's take on this because I wonder if this is the same conversation we've been having about hanging out with your friends it, to television. But it, for me, for me, the experience of Game of Thrones, which is for me, you know, I cannot separate it from covering it because we, so much of these last few years we were talking about yeah. it or doing shows about it or whatever, was so fun. It was so fun to be but engaged did, with the larger culture that way. But except it, for Kaya. We, we were unable yeah. to engage that way, unfortunately. But thus, it, thus, there'll always be a little bit of a distance. But it was us. telling one story. 
the whole time you were winter is coming. Yeah. You felt like we were building to something. And I remember it, it was a story about a paraplegic boy's rise to power. <laughs> <laughs> we didn't know it at the time, but that's what it was. It's interesting that you think it's underrated now given the last season. I reaction. think people like really like it was one of those shows that was bulletproof for such a long time that as soon as it cracked, people were like, Oh, now we can make fun of it. And yeah. now we can be like, this is pretty stupid, actually, when you think about it. But in truth, like for most of the time Game of Thrones was on, we were all basically like gobsmacked. It, by it. It's also very, very indicative of how t- much TV has changed because even a decade ago, I guess a decade ago, this was beginning. But prior to that, the idea of expecting that a show would stick a landing is so foreign, right? Shows just ran and ran and then they stopped running. Yeah. And yeah. then the expectation that every piece, it's almost... I think there's been a, we're due for a correction because I think this idea that everything that came before, all the fun we had along the way, all the incredible artistic and aesthetic highs are somehow invalidated because we didn't love two or three choices at the very end. That's a, that's a well, silly see, way to but, look at but, things. Uh, I'll push back on that a little bit because, because of what I just said, it was building to an end the whole time. Part of the, my enjoyment, at least, you know, outside of loving the world, loving the characters, loving the filmmaking and writing is I can't wait. I can't wait yeah. until this all comes together and and all these armies come together and and and, and so it it was riding a lot yeah. on the end game. Whereas I think a lot of shows, a lot of other shows that don't do that, yeah, the pressure is not so heavy on, on the ser- series finale. You know what I mean? That's it's like, also like such a testament to the power of that like kind of long form storytelling. And when you do get to live with characters, I mean, we're kind of being flippant about this idea of you just want to hang out with people you like. But when you think about like the audience's relationship that they develop with a character like Jamie Lannister over the course of seven, eight it's years. It's so great. It's so much more profound than I what it that. would have been if it would have been a, even like a three and a half hour Absolutely. Movie. So Game of Thrones, nine for you. Yeah. Uh, nine for me is happy endings. I wanted to pick a sitcom. It's the, probably in some ways the most traditional thing I picked on this list. I uh, do love that show. And it you is... Do? I, did, I didn't watch the whole thing, but it was really funny. It's the really biggest clever. surprise for me. Really? Yeah, today, yeah. Happy Endings was an ABC sitcom starring Adam Pally and a bunch of people from uh, Damon Wins Jr. Casey. Casey Wilson. Yeah. and Liza uh, Coop. Elijah Coop Elijah, and Elijah Cuthbert. And it's just like, I don't know how you would make a like a traditional studio sitcom that any better than that. So is that the funniest show you've seen all No, all well, the funniest show, I think Have Veep's you, like, up there, you know. Right. Um, is that on pure, your list? For pure quantity and quality of jokes, it ha- I think it has to be Veep. But Happy Endings had that extra I mean, piece yeah. of like, it's not as emotionally gripping as some of the other shows we've already mentioned, but there is something that is comfortable and warm about that vibe. Yeah, and, and it was almost too surreal again, to word, have comfortable that. Comfortable and yeah. warm. It, it never was it's able... It's essential to TV. It's different than movies. <laughs> yeah, it was never like it so easygoing that it would have been able to catch like an office parks or, or friends kind of run. But I think that it it would it definitely had a few more seasons in it. So it's too bad it that didn't. narrowly so, missed my K- list. Kaya, do you like happy endings? I've never seen that either. Yeah. Let me ask, let me, let me ask <laughs> Kaya. Kaya, I Kaya was Kaya. in middle school when happy endings came out. <laughs> Wait, Kaya, I want to ask you a question. Which do you prefer, the British office or the American office? The American. Which do you guys prefer? The American. British. I mean, the British, like, They're completely no question, different shows. They're though. totally different. That's I, why they were both successful. I mean, I just think from beginning to end, the British office is a, a masterpiece. shorter journey. Yeah, yeah. It, it's true, which, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. No. You know what I mean? So, but I don't know. Anyway, go ahead. Happy endings, uh, nine for me. Sam, what's your eight? Escape at Denimara. 
So you're a 51-year-old woman who's been with the same man for 20 years, 21 years? So we can have an adult conversation. Okay. Did you have sex with these two inmates? No. I just figured you're friends with my friend. That makes us friends. What's going on with you and Tilly? Maybe we can arrange a get-together soon. I'm down there every night. I'm cutting the piping. I'm doing the work. And all you do is sleep. Nobody knows about a marriage, except the people in the marriage, and sometimes even they don't know. So you want to be part of my dream? Yes. Say it. If we're, if we're talking about 70s cinema, if we're talking mm-hmm. about filmmaking mm-hmm. and great, great performances and a story from beginning to end with a complete arc, this is one of the most perfect Yeah, this is more like a, How many episodes was this? Nine, I think. And was it nine? It was yeah. way closer to a nine-hour movie. It's phenomenal. And I mean, did anyone direct a whole season of television before this decade? Do we know the answer to that? Um, no, I'm I mean, sure. like, it's like James Burroughs probably directed most of season two years. Yeah, he did. <laughs> you know? <laughs> or for, yeah. I, I just in, think. In the way you're talking about it, not really. I don't. Yeah, think. I just think you could, t- you could feel that. So, I mean, I felt that obviously the first season of True Detective, but I think. Do you know any other shows where there's one director? No, you know. But I mean, Escape of Denamara <laughs> from beginning to end felt, I mean, it just felt like such a singular vision that was executed to perfection and then you on top of that had these beautiful performances from patricia arcad and paul dano and benicio del toro and even just like i can't remember the actor's name but the person that played patricia arcad's husband was oh, great um eric um what we should call him up yeah we should anyway eric uh, Lang. he was very good on the and bridge and the cinematography oh, yeah. he's narcos too the cinematography was amazing i, I don't know to me it was just a flawless I, season my of only note on that i i think i also thought it was incredible when I finally got to the end of it, but it's a little like, you know, talking about friends and family shows because as everyone who listens to The Watch knows, Ben Stiller absolutely, absolutely was telling yeah, the truth when he said on the he, podcast I mean, with it's us. It's that pretty he's well a, documented that he was listening to us a lot while he was making it. He was a big so fan. So it's sort of weird. The, one of the all-time greatest moments <laughs> no, for me but, on The Watch was near the end of our interview with him over the phone. He sort of, you can you can literally hear him ordering lunch, I think, <laughs> into his cell phone. He's like, um, big fan of what you guys uh, do. Do. And to me, that meant that he is a longtime subscriber. (laughs) Kaya, what's your wait? Wait, Kaya, have you seen Escape at Denmark? I want to, I want to get feedback. It's fine. Yeah, (laughs) Uh, I watched a couple episodes. Didn't didn't take. Didn't Didn't take. Didn't make the best of the decade list. What 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 was the reason that you stopped? Out of curiosity. Um, I just it was too slow moving. It was was really it was really bleak. Bleak. It was just like this. New York. You're upstate New York prison. She lives near the beach. All right. <laughs> Thus, the big little lies. If it had been escape from Redondo, I can't. She would have been into it. No, then it would have been too close to home. <laughs> um, Kyle, what's your number eight? Uh, you guys are going to make fun of me. Uh, it's billions. When did it become a crime to succeed in this country? Everyone has access to the information. We just know how to analyze it better. We spotted a suspect trading pattern. You must get pings like that every day. All three firms have links to Bobby Axelrod. Play hard, play clean, be careful out there. 
That's all right. I like Billions. This guy loves Billions. I saw the first season and I really enjoyed myself. Yeah. I, don't, I haven't gone back yet, though. Uh, first three seasons. The most recent season was like so-so. But it's just really fun, really engaging. The dialogue is like can be kind of silly at times and like a little bit like too packed with pop culture references. Sure. But like great Paul Giamatti performance. Uh, Damien Lewis. Is D- Damien Lewis is incredible. Yeah really like it keeps you engaged i mean i would admit i'm really bad at watching tv like i do the thing where i sit and watch tv and i'm on my phone the entire time and it's an easy show to watch and it's an easy show, show to, to watch, watch and while it you're keeps on your me engaged. Phone. and like a lot of times i mm-hmm. will start watching tv and then i'll look at my phone and then i'll be like this show is bad i'm gonna turn it <laughs> off it's like <laughs> it's probably not bad it's probably me <laughs> wow all right eight billions for kaya andy greenwald I'm going to look deep into Sam Esmail's eyes wait. when I say this one. Success. Everything I've done in my life, I've done for my children. I know I've made mistakes, but I've always tried to do the best by them because I love them. Have you thought about the possibility that your children are actually scared of you? Oh, fuck off. Ah. Uh. I assume this is on your yeah, list. Yeah, this uh, is number three for me. Is it on your list, Kaya? It is. It's number three to one. Yeah. Hey, man. Thanks. I admit I'm in the minority. We can do this. it now. Let's get it out of the way. Yeah. I, I think um, we've also talked. We've talked a about lot. It. I, about I just succession. think. The show By the way, Succession, about. just so you know, my wife loves the show, yeah. watches it, and easy show to be on your phone with and on your phone. I mean, <laughs> that is I mean, such withering. Wait, 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 wait. I don't, I actually, to me, Succession is a lot of fun for the one liners. You know, all your characters. It's it's a hangout movie. I mean, it's a hangout show. Wouldn't you agree with that? You said before we started recording that your favorite thing about watching Succession is sending us trolley signal Love messages yeah. during the episodes. Yeah. I, and to be fair, I have not seen. Yeah. There was there was one season. in like the beginning of the second season. There was one night where we had a signal thread going where Sam. And I had an 85 message thread back and forth. And then like you checked in at like 9 p.m. <laughs> I was on and set. And you were just like, holy shit, what's wrong with you two? I was so stressed out trying to get make the day like during lightning delays in Albuquerque. And did you, re- like, be honest, did you read the of entire thread? Of course I did. Of course I did. While watching Billions. You have to read it because it's going to dissolve. I could do the two That's things right. at Full, once. Circle. Full um, circle. I just, you know, we've talked about it many times. I just think the show is electric. I think it's the rare combination of of comedy and drama and performance. And it, I love, Chris, I thought you made a really good point about period piece fatigue. Mm-hmm. I love that it is set now. And I just feel like it, it's exciting to be enjoying a show like this that reminds me of the earlier days of some of, I mean, this is, I'm looking backward, I guess, on a lot of this, this list this, this, towards this the is, type of dramas from yes. the previous decade. Not the kind of dramas you're thinking of. I'm talking about the Mad Men Breaking Bad Sopranos were like, this show could run for a minute. Yeah. And I can see the collisions on the horizon and it's thrilling. I, I, you don't, and I'm just asking this question. Maybe I'm watching Succession wrong here, but you don't feel like that the, that the main appeal of that show is I can't wait to see what Kieran Culkin says to whomever or I Tom think that says to Greg, I don't think that there's me. like one appeal to the show, but I get but what you're saying. Where I you're think, like, I think it, you know, I think that show is about the, the one liners, ca- the, the one liners and the characters and hanging out with them. I don't know. Do you guys actually care about the plot to take down the company? But you don't care about the... plot either. I, I but, think. But, but, I, yeah. No, 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 but, but, you but, set but, the trap. Wait, you got him. T- totally fair. No, Let's no, tag no. And bag I'll, him. I'll take it. I'll take it. But what I'm saying is it doesn't have the one arc, right? It, it, 
It has the rep- re- I haven't seen the second <laughs> season, but I can only imagine it either ends with someone either trying to take down the the Brian Cox's character, or someone does take down Brian. Cox. That's the one arc. Who will? But, dare but, I may, but, dare, but, dare but I say wait, it, succeed but, him? But wait, but that's the procedural element, right? Like no one will because that's how the show. You're survives. trying to bait us into being like it's Shakespearean, so you can get mad at us about it, but we're not going to take it. I, I do think, though, to <laughs> oh, your point, I, the positive I would version agree that it's Shakespearean <laughs> is one of the things that might be appealing to us and all three of us is that it is kind of like a four quadrant show. You can watch it for the one liners. You can watch it for memeable content. Yeah, you can. Yes. But it is, I think it is much richer and deeper than that. But it is the rare show that is able to do, to maybe satisfy both audiences, which is why it is so, to your mind, overly represented on end of year list this year. It is not, let, let, me, let me ask this question about succession. Is it about the experience for you? The experience, like when you go to see the Irishman or, or what, I mean, I don't want it to compare it to, to that, but sure. is it about the experience of watching it or is it about, Hanging out with your favorite, like t- oh, I mean, it's definitely K- about the Kieran Culkin is seventy three uh, years okay. old. He yeah, was de-aged for season two <laughs> succession. Today's episode of The Watch is brought to you by Oris Watches. For over 115 years, Oris has been making purely mechanical watches in Holstein, Switzerland, staying true to a rich heritage. Oris is one of the few Swiss watch companies to remain independently owned and operated. Because of this independence, Oris has the freedom to follow its own path. They're focused on bringing change for the better, which means making choices that are ecologically, socially, and financially responsible. That includes ocean conservation and recycled plastic partnerships. Of course, that's a Along with Oris's century-long and change commitment to making inventive, high-functioning Swiss-made watches that serve a real purpose and at prices that make sense. The best possible watch for the money. Comprised of four themes, diving, aviation, motorsport, and culture, Oris watches are made for everyday wear. Shop the many different unique styles at oris.ch slash podcast. That's O-R-I-S dot C-H slash podcast. You're sure to find one that's your style and suits your taste. That's oris.ch slash podcast. Today's episode of The Watch is brought to you by Watchmen. Can't get enough of HBO's Watchmen? Now you can go deeper inside the show. Critics have called your new TV obsession with the official Watchmen podcast. Hosted by Watchmen executive producer and writer Damon Lendoff and Craig Mazin, the creator of Chernobyl. The new podcast explores narrative choices, uncovers Easter eggs, and examines the show's connection to the groundbreaking graphic novel and the modern events. A reimagining of the world originally seen in the groundbreaking 1980s graphic novel of the same name, Watchmen is set in an alternate history of present-day America where the lines between vigilantes and mass crime fighters are blurred and the only true superhero is nowhere to be found on Earth. Stylized, darkly funny, and profoundly human, the series stars Regina King, Gene Smart, Don Johnson, and Jeremy Irons, and features music from Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross. All episodes of Watchmen are now streaming and available on demand only from HBO. Then listen to the official Watchmen podcast available on all major podcast platforms. Today's episode of The Watch is brought to you by Bose AR. Bose AR is a first-of-its-kind platform that is an audio-first approach to augmented reality. 
Bose AR-enabled products have motion sensors embedded inside that can detect your head orientation and body movement while you wear them. AR-enhanced apps can then use this information to offer you tailored audio content. Disney and Bose are working together to bring fans a new immersive audio experience based on the beloved Star Wars movies. Available in the official Star Wars app and exclusively for Bose AR-enabled devices, fans can journey through an immersive 360-degree audio augmented reality timeline of Rey's lightsaber with spatialized sound for unique gesture-driven interaction where the user can freeze the scene, move toward elements, hear new content, and experience the story from new angles. So what does this mean? This means you could essentially step into scenes from Star Wars in a new audio realm. the, The best way to explain it is close your eyes. You can probably see scenes from Star Wars because you've seen the movies so many times. But have you ever really heard them? Because you've never heard them this way. You've never been on the set, on the deck of the Millennium Falcon with Obi-Wan, Luke, and Han training with a droid that's blasting at you and hearing the dialogue from A New Hope in this whole new way. And as you move your body, as you move your head, as you cock your head from side to side, you hear the scene in a completely different way. To celebrate this partnership, Bose will also be releasing a limited edition Star Wars QC35 headphones too. Visit Bose.com slash the watch to learn more. For my number eight, I'm going to go with True Detective. It's a really good story. I never get tired of telling it. Legend shit, you know. It was January the 3rd, 1995. I remember. I worked with Russ Cole for seven years. What do you know about him, Marty? Good detective. Doesn't care about making friends. People change. You're obsessive. You're obsessive. It's not about the job. Relationships change. You need to tell me what's going on. How many times have we had this conversation, detectives? Nothing ever changes. I think the first season is a complete and total masterpiece. And then the next two seasons are obviously very flawed. But part of the reason why I'm putting it on my list is because I don't think that there's any flawed show that I'm more engaged with the flaws. I don't know if that makes sense, but even the behind the scenes stuff where it's like the, the narratives about how that show is made or, you know, directors leaving or coming and whether or not like the production was great. I, it's almost like reading about like an Easy Rider's Raging Bulls thing where you're kind of like really engaged with how this must have gone wrong in places. I happen to think season three is phenomenal, but I think, you know, season one alone would make my decade list. And I actually now have come to really like enjoy parts of season two, which I know is much maligned and love season three. I think in the spirit of trying to draw larger themes out of the conversation about a show that my opinion of is well-documented. Yeah. Um, you didn't like first season, right? I didn't. But um, Which is this, still this, like the craziest thing in the world. Why, why fact, didn't you like well, it? I'll revisit that in okay. a second. I do want to say, I think the fact that you can be fans, that we can be fans of process now in a way that wasn't available to audiences before, that there are podcasts like this and articles and blog posts and, and just it's much more visible behind the scenes and makes being fans of flawed work, whatever it may be, kind of interesting and part of television now in a way that it wasn't before. Yeah, when it was just sure. sort of a factory producing stuff that all fit into the same diecast molds. I liked season one on mute. It was beautiful. You didn't like the writing. I, I was not a fan of the writing. Did, but you did like the filmmaking. Filmmaking is beautiful. By the way, I would I, I, I liked the first season of True Detective. I really liked it. I definitely think the filmmaking is what made the first season. I I, I happen to love the writing in the first season. And I also think McConaughey and Harrelson are oh, like the performances were, two of the best performances. Oh my God. Decade. So mm-hmm. yeah. True Detective for me, Sam, what's what, your what seven? Are we, what are we at? Seven? We may have talked about my seven. 
We did. Game of Thrones. Okay. Kai, what's your seven? Atlanta. Okay. I think we'll probably wind up having a a big Atlanta conversation. We'll come back around to Atlanta. It's on everybody's list. Yes. Might be the only one on everybody's list. Ooh. That's interesting. interesting. So, which wow. would be a good place to end? That's probably the last Put one the we're going to talk about. the Chernobyl music over that. Um, uh, Andy, what's your seven? Chernobyl. <laughs> <laughs> but thanks for burning my music. Yeah. Um, seven is one that I was so excited to talk about. And I think it's on Chris's list. Might be on Sam's. Not sure if it's going to be on Kaya's. But it is the one that, to me, is the most criminally underrepresented on the other lists that I've seen out there. Certainly in the top tens. It's the Nick. Fuck yeah. We, mankind, have progressed so far. We live in a time of endless possibility. From such humble beginnings through the astonishing modern world in which we now live. More has been learned about the treatment of the human body in the last five years than was learned in the previous 500. I will not stop pushing forward into a hopeful future. And with every blow I land, Every extra year I give to a patient. I know that at the very least, something has been won. Ah, let's do it. Up top. It is not on my list, but that's just because I never got around to watching the second season, but I loved, loved, loved the first season. Kyat? Never seen it. Never seen it. So the Nick is, again, it's it's kind of thing that would only ever have happened in this decade where Steven Soderbergh is developing a show for HBO and HBO famously, it's no longer the case because of HBO Max, but famously has a very narrow pipe development pipeline and they only program on Sunday nights. So it takes a long time to get shows on the air. And he's like, well, I, I only want to do things fast now, so forget it. And they're like, well, what if we put it on Cinemax? And he's like, Great, I'll start tomorrow. He's like, What's Cinemax. <laughs> like, I don't care. Just yeah. put it on screen. Yeah. And so that's a show that was directed every episode by one person yeah. by the amazing Steven Soderbergh. And it's it's so visceral and thrilling and unlike it's, anything else that was on TV this decade. It is a for people who don't know, it is a hospital drama set in the first part of the century in New York City where medical practices were a, a bit different. Yeah. A little less regulated, yeah. a little less uh, sanitary. Featuring absolutely stunning performances um, from Clive Owen and Andre Holland. One of our first coke addicts is uh, Clive Owen's doctor. First and finest cocaine addicts. (laughs) By the way, don't forget Clive Owen. Yeah. You know, huge movie star. Unbelievable. And then… And getting like… And then the ongoings to to be the lead in an ongoing series. It wasn't just a one season thing at the time. Because on TV, he could be what he truly is, is more of a character actor, even though he is the lead. This was a show that also taught me, and I know Sam and I have spirited debates about my appreciation of filmmaking in general, mm-hmm. but I feel like I learned more about the possibilities of direction and the camera movement yeah. from watching The Nick on television than I had learned from the time, or at least that I paid attention to from when I like did my Criterion homework and watched all the movies from the 70s. When that you I read about how he made about. that show too, or yeah. the amount of pages he was shooting a day and how he you know, would have he would be sitting in a wheelchair and they would be rolling him up and down the hallways to shoot you know different coverage and the show itself and, and editing is a, it in his town car on the way home right yeah. on and his the, laptop the yeah. show itself is about a guy who is constantly challenging and also driving himself crazy by asking why are we doing things the way we're doing them and in a lot of ways that's what Soderbergh has been kind of doing over the last 10 years is like I'm going to shoot a movie on an iPhone I'm going to make three movies in a year I'm going to put one up on Netflix and then one's going to go over here I'm going to self-release and try to change the distribution model it's it's such an incredible like symmetry between the the subject matter and the filmmaker himself. And if we're going to point to certain moments, just literally moments that 
for me, were significant in terms of the art form of television in the decade. There's a scene that, Chris, you and I referenced all the time, but it's been a couple of years, so maybe we can do it again. But there's a scene, I think it's in the first season, when some doctors are doing boilerplate doctors on television oh, yeah. stuff. Even though it's you know not ER, it's decades before, but they're talking about patients and blah, blah, blah. And you can feel Soderbergh getting bored with the conversation, and so the camera starts right. moving. It starts know. looking at the light fixtures right. and the way the light is falling in the room, and you get a sense of the larger world that is telling you just as much about um, this, the circumstance and the context as the dialogue. And something got sh- shaken loose there in terms yeah. of what we can be interested and in. Season and season two is really underrated. I think people camera. watch, like a lot of people watch season one or a few, a fair amount of people watch season one and they were like, I got it. But season two is actually- Yeah, like, no, like I a, need to go back. I mean, and, the and other it tells thing- tells a full story of this moment. And the this other time thing, it was character. a really dynamic way. I haven't seen, Kai, have you seen Dickinson? Yeah, I watched a few episodes. And I, I think I think it. they do this. They in do Dickinson. a lot of surgery in Dickinson too. So cool. <laughs> no, but I'm I'm mostly talking about a modern take on a very period. Yeah. I mean the music and the the style of which they shot the neck. I mean the music is it's like Cliff Martinez. It's Cliff Martinez. Yeah. yeah, it's it's amazing. But to to match that up with a 19th century, right? It was set in the 19th century. Beginning of the 20th. Or the yeah. But it's like, if it, it is full of these, I didn't know you could do that yeah. moments. And it's weird how, in some ways, hidebound our thinking as TV fans or even TV critics can be until you suddenly see it done a different way. And you're it's like, why so aren't we good. always doing that? Yeah. yeah, I mean, it's the most one of the most traditional settings for a television show made in the most untraditional way possible. Why do you think that show wasn't talked about? It's way too dark and way too bloody. There are so many shots of people taking kidneys out. It's just so grotesque. But also Cinemax. I just think people didn't understand. Yeah. And Cinemax as a network, and they had a show I also really loved called Banshee. I love the idea like list. there's just so many people at home be like, I thought this was Cinemax. Like, <laughs> but but my- they didn't know where to find it. And they didn't, and Cinemax was going to, that was going to be like the crown jewel Hard of their original stuff, right? programming. Yeah. And then it was just didn't fit with the rest of what they were doing. And it there just was another show in lost. Cinemax. Banshee. No, it was another show, Corey. Corey yeah, that Corey's supposedly great. was a great. And I, you're right. I kind of just never. Corey narrowly missed my top ten. Corey is a, I think, a masterpiece one season show, maybe the best pulp storytelling I've ever seen on television, and it just criminally. And you think because of Cinemax, because it was on Cinemax, it it could have it should have continued for a long time, and Cinemax was shifting its focus, and HBO as a company was shifting its focus, and then they dithered over what to do with it, and other networks were interested, and it all fell apart. It's a a terrible... My number seven is Black Mirror. If we drill down into the numbers, you have got a solid popularity arc here. No one is this happy. A two-year-old with a fucking balloon isn't this happy. Singularity is when computers learn to outsmart man like women did years ago. You are so adorable. We're genuinely empathetic as a species. We don't actually really want to kill each other. That's my number. I think that's my number six. Hi, is that on your list? Yeah, it's number three. Yes. Ah, is it not on your list? It's not, ah, but only close. because that version of the list where it's everyone's favorite seasons, like season one of Black Mirror would be top five seasons probably of the decade for me. But I was purely, I was doing two things. I was cheating a little bit because I was trying to find shows that were less individually anthologized to champion but also the batting average is not as high as it once was i guess so i but inf- influence i still and- think that there's a lot to like about the later seasons and it's the show that did the most this this decade for yeah me. it's funny it's heartbreaking 
It's terrifying. Uh, It can be sentimental. It it, it can be sentimental. Yeah, but in a great way, in a genuine way. It's satirical. Yeah. It's relevant. I mean, there's just so many... The filmmaking is amazing. And every time I start an episode of Black Mirror, even though there is certain kind of like tricks they do, I'm still like, I have no idea what's going to happen. Yeah. And that's kind of like the coolest feeling. It's like you like the, the screen cracks thing, you know, like the Black Mirror screen cracks and you're like, anything exactly. can right now. And even when you're like, wow, they really swung and missed here, they really swing hard. Kaya, as someone who is um, slightly younger than us, um, in a good way, <laughs> I'm, I'm wondering, <laughs> how did this show enter your life and what is it? what role does it play in your life? Um, for me, I think it was really the first show that I felt like accurately depicted ha- on television how destructive technology can be and how destructive social media can be. And like, I think this episode that stuck with me the longest is the Bryce Dallas Howard one where she's going through Did, and yeah, rating and every, dive. yeah, no, so I have the one where uh, every single interaction is rated and right. like it felt just close enough to home where I was like, I this feels like it could be reality and this feels like. 20 years down the road, this could be our situation. And just like so elegantly, I think depicted the way that social media leads us to like commodify every interaction yeah. that we have. I hope it never stops. I mean, like yeah. in the, just in the last few years, they've done a black and white horror movie. Yeah. They've done a choose your own adventure thriller. Yeah. They've done a deep, like it, I just hope that they just keep And by it. the way, you said something really crucial there. You said movie. A lot of times those episodes do have, I, I think, I think that yeah. episode in particular, maybe, maybe. Hated it, in the nation is like two hours long. I think. Yeah. yeah. And I think that that's great. Cause you're not seeing it in the theaters to get really smart adult themed sci-fi uh, movies. Yeah. In, in a television show. That's awesome. I love it's, you know, for for a show that is so um, pessimistic, let's say about the role technology plays in our lives, it is such a triumph of uh, of a partnership that's emerged with Netflix and Charlie Brooker, where they basically say, "Do what yeah, you want. try it. Do you want to do a Christmas special? Do a Christmas special. Yeah. Do three. Do nine. Do a choose your own adventure movie that radicalizes our technology and you know, do it. That's the that is a fantastic way forward for creators, I think, if they yeah. can have a relationship like that. Sam, what's your number six? Six. Well, that was my number six. Okay. So, Kai, what's your number six? Uh, my number six was Succession. Great. Andy? The Americans. This work can be too much for people, even the best ones. It's just that somewhere, I don't exactly know how, something got lost. You're going to have to make a decision to commit to this life or to get out. It's not easy and it doesn't always end well. You know, not everybody around the world wants us to be able to live in peace. There are people out there who don't like our way of life. The only way to get to peace is to stand firm against those who wish us harm. And believe me, they do wish us harm. Chris Ryan's favorite show. Nothing but respect (laughs) for my president. I... It has Go ahead. Wait, dims. wait, wait, wait. Is it on your list, Kaya, the Americans? I've never seen it. Oh, okay. I've never seen it. Okay. It has dimmed slightly in my in in my estimation only because, because of we're all Russian spies. Because it's a little too close to home. That was almost quaint. Um some of the some of the some of where it ended up in the last season made me question some of the things that had happened before. But on a week to week basis, again, it's an old fashioned type of affection. I truly loved its its just narrow, narrow focus on the emotional contours of a marriage. And, and week to week, getting that type of storytelling with actors like Carrie Russell and especially Matthew Reese was a treat. 
I love watching it. I love writing about it and thinking about it. And that's another thing where the first half of the decade, I mean, I, I stopped being a, a t- full-time writing TV critic in 2015, um, right, you know, right when you were starting making Mr. Robot, basically. Right, right I was when we done. started the watch. <laughs> but, but, but five years ago, and, and uh, it's very hard to separate shows from the first half of the decade from my relationship to writing about them and thinking about them and the shows that made me excited to explore that's things. Fair. I think I think because I I remember watching Game of I remember where I was when I started talking about the Red Wedding. It's actually not even called the Red Wedding that episode. I love when shows. I remember listening to the Cliff Martinez soundtrack from the Nick. Like when when shows can do that, when yeah. they can enter your lives like that, and it's actually part of your memory bank. I think that's that's that says a lot. So that was six for you. Six for me is the Nick. Sam, what's your number five? Mine Hunter. We travel around the country and teach FBI techniques to cops. You guys mind if I bother you for a minute? She was found cuffed and lashed to the bed. How can we help? We should be using every resource we can, talking to the smartest people we find from the broadest possible spectrum. Are criminals born? Or are they formed? Psychopaths are convinced that there's nothing wrong with them, so these men are virtually impossible to study. Yet you have found a way in near-perfect laboratory conditions. Hello, ladies. That's what makes this so exciting and potentially so far-reaching. I, I assume it's on your... Well. Yeah. It is? Yeah. And mine. The same place in everybody's list. Kaya? Not on my list. Not on your list. Have what? you seen it? Mm-hmm. And? It's fine. I mean, it's good. It's good, but God, like, I don't, it's God. just <laughs> this. This, is this generation Kaya's drawing way more fire than I usually uh, do. This is a fun podcast. Who asked Kaya to be a part of this? <laughs> Kaya is the sin eater for this podcast. <laughs> uh, let's all. talk about Mindhunter. I love um, it. So all you, these, you you finished two. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, it is almost unfathomable that two got was better than one. Uh, it's, you know, it's, um, the four hour Carl Franklin movie at the end uh, of season two. The Andrew Dominic episode is so brilliant. The first three Finchers, uh, the way in which it can it can do thematic work, but really is about the the immediate thing that these guys are trying to find the answer to at any given moment. And uh, the recreation of it of the Atlanta child murder stuff is just was flabbergasting. And the resistance to being a regular detective yeah. cop, we're gonna it, solve mysteries. There's a lane there that we didn't know existed for telling yeah. this type of story. That said. I do like hanging out with the actors. I, I do, do too. And I think the personal you, stuff in season two took a huge leap in terms of uh But it's doing quality. both. It's it doing everything. It is. It's doing everything. And it's just the craftsmanship. I mean, alone would would, you know, just blow my mind. But like the fact that everything like the performances between I mean, Holt especially. Yeah. I, I just it's an amazing performance. It's an amazing performance. And, and it's the, such a great example of TV acting where it's like the first season he's a he's a specific archetype. And even though you see a little bit of humanity in him, you're like, okay, I get that guy, but he seems like the kind of the grizzled old yeah. cop scene at all. And then the second season, they tear him down. Yeah. They tear him down and they show like he's got to be more ambitious. He's got to try more, but then he's also got this vulnerability at home. It's just amazing. It, to me, it's a super dark show that's very entertaining. Oh. And that yeah. that is something Fincher does time and time again. He takes something that could be really dark, a really could feel like a slog, not you know something you don't necessarily want to sit down and watch. But he just he just energizes it. I don't yeah, know how he, he does he, it, but it's it's just rivet. People rivet. have asked me like if I watch TV differently. Eighty takes. That's how he does it. Well, yeah. having having made a show and no show has like watching Mindhunter season two, which I couldn't watch during production because I just couldn't put my head in that space. But watching it post. Have, in during post production, 
I just watch it with my jaw on the floor because it's so exceptionally done and they don't sit any plays out. Like the production design in every room they walk into of every location, all of which are in Pittsburgh somehow, yeah. but they find places for all of them. That Every actor seems like the greatest actor ever for that part. The fact that there are these long, long, long scenes like the one you were mentioning, Sam, and they're dialogue-based scenes, but they are riveting and they break every rule because they're just people sitting at a table that you can't look away. What, what, I love it. Why is it meant for you? I'm just curious. Is it too dark? It's not too dark. I think it's just a lot of people in rooms talking and like and, and that like, wasn't like this podcast right now. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, I guess that just I don't know. That just wasn't for me. Wasn't. I mean, it's good. I, I, I'm not saying I did. But I it's interesting to think it. about it in relationship to something like Unbelievable because there has been criticism levied against Mindhunter that it is like kind of like basically taking the victims of these crimes and making them like parts of a piece of paper or a photograph, whereas Unbelievable is very much like almost told from the victim perspective. Right. Yeah, I guess it just like emotionally, it did not connect connect with with me. Like the storyline that stayed with me the most out of all of them is the one, and forgive me, I'm forgetting the names of the characters, but the father whose son is like starting to exhibit like serial killer tendencies and they're really freaked out and like that's like the storyline that stay with me the most because that's the most emotional one yeah and you're watching it happen with me week to week (laughs) (laughs) it's interesting because i think he gets that knock a lot that that his fincher i'm talking about that his films or or shows are not very emotional they're colder but for me, it, it's emotional because of the experience of watching it, not necessarily the journey of one specific character. It's more it's more of the the whole thing. Well, I also think that it's sometimes like for as much as I'm sure he oversees every element of the production, I think that the Andrew Dominic episode is different than the Fincher episodes. Yeah. And the Carl Franklin episodes are very different than the Fincher and Andrew Dominic episodes. You know, they have like a different kind of a uh, sense of place with like the, the the recreation of Atlanta in the in the early eighties. So it, it's a, it's an interesting case where we're like kind of referring to Fincher, but I think that there was a lot of things going on in that show. We should also give a shout out to Courtney Miles, who came on the second season and did, wrote a lot of the episodes, mm-hmm. and who'd worked with Fincher as an AD on some of his movies. And because it is Fincher show, there's no question about it. I mean, the aesthetic, what interests him, what drives him, the perfectionism. But the humanity of the show, I think, took a huge leap forward in season two, which, of course, you should get credit for it as well. But I did think the scripts took a big leap. There's this leap really forward. great moment on the um, Bill Simmons did a podcast with Matt Damon. And Matt Damon was talking about going down to the Gone Girl set to watch them shoot one day uh, to visit Affleck, obviously, and that they were shooting in like a bookstore. And uh, they like set up the shot and it's like a like it was like a however long it was like a dolly shot to follow people going through these different rows of a bookstore. And they start the action and Affleck and Rosamund Pike are kind of doing their scene. And Fincher just turns to like turns around and whoever and is just like, who the fuck walks like that? And he's talking about like an extra. And there's like an extra in the background of this bookstore who's like walking. He's like, nobody fucking walks like that. Nobody fucking walks like that. Cut. And then somebody goes to do makeup on Rosamund Pike and they're walking through the frame and he goes, that's how somebody walks. And his whole thing is like, he is so attuned to those kinds of details that that's what you can kind of see at work in Mindhunter is like, when you watch it, you're like, oh, that is actually how somebody eats that kind of food. Right. You know, it's like that, those little things are amazing. So that's, I've, I've seen as many people walk correctly as Kai has seen episodes of Game of Thrones. <laughs> like I would never notice that. Kai, what's your number five? So my number five is girls. I actually, I, I, I was close to putting girls on my list. By the way, I really love girls. I, no one talks about girls anymore. I yeah, not yeah seen, I was kind of surprised how many lists it was left off of, considering how much conversation it took up oh for so God, long yeah. and how many people were made so upset and mad online about it. And 
I think a lot of the criticism that gets levied at it is fair and it's very like focusing on like four upper class white women living in New York City and like it's not very representative. But I also think people were trying to make it be a lot more than it was. And they were making it try to be the millennial show. Like this is supposed to be representative of an entire generation. And it's like, no, it's just about like four people who are pretty unlikable, but like have redeeming qualities and like they're living the Brooklyn upper or mid twenties life. And it's a really interesting thing. Cause like what we were talking about in the beginning where you're talking about getting into TV from coming from features and coming into television and Lena Dunham did a similar, similar thing where she had made tiny furniture and then she makes girls for HBO. That show should not have been as long as it was. That show was about a very specific moment in these people's lives. And because it was of its popularity, they kept having to come up with reasons for the four or five of these people to keep meeting up or keep being in each other's lives. In no other realm would that have happened. But, but I would say, but to that point, I would say a lot of the successful episodes of the show were little shorts and little the, little. Those were yeah. the best episodes. Like Boys. I remember that. I think the episode was called Boys, yep. where it focused on the Adam Driver yeah. character. Yeah, that and the whole episode. Or the, the Panic, Panic in Central, Central Park, Park episode, Park, which is one of the best Patrick, episodes of the decade. Uh, the, is it Patrick other Wilson? Man's, the other Patrick Man's Wilson. Trash. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. When I view the show like that, when I think about the show like that, where it's honestly, it, it, like Black Mirror, it's like an anthology of little shorts about these misadventures in New York City with the uh, through the point of view of these four women. I just think that's that's where the show really shines. I agree with you, though. The, the serialized part where they sort of… Kept sh- insisting on like exactly. somehow Jemima Kirk's character and Lena Dunham's character would still know right. each other. Yeah, it, I totally agree. I just think for me… The, the inconsistencies of that show were built into it. It was baked into it. That's kind of what it was. It was it was kind of a cinematic finishing school art experiment for them. They were trying. Sometimes they tried to make traditional yeah. TV. Sometimes they tried to make just a short film. Sometimes they were both in the same episode. I think the highs were incredibly high, and some of the highest of the decade. Um, so that's Kai's five. What's your five? Man, Chris's. We were mindhunter for all of us in five. So four for me. We're getting now. We're getting into it. Now we're at the leftovers for me and. I kind of feel like it's I assume left- that's not on your list, right? Chris? Leftovers is not on my Left- list. And I assume it's not on your I've list. I've never seen it. Okay. It, leftovers with a like small like one A, I think Watchmen for me is almost a continuation of Leftovers. Watchmen's not on my list. Maybe it would be with some more time and perspective because I love Watchmen. But would you say Watchmen is as good so far? I would. You would. I, well, you don't you don't like the leftovers. I right? like the leftovers, it, but it, I would say that Watchmen does a lot of the things that yeah, it, it's, it's all it's, not it, it's kind of it's Damon's thing, you know, and I and I'm a big fan of it. And I think Leftovers is so fascinating because I'm putting it very high on my list, even though I have not changed my opinion about the first season being incredibly difficult, almost unwatchable at times. And I love the first season. It, it, it was because it was difficult. <laughs> yeah, uh, I mean, I I'm not trolling. I'm not trying. No, to be no, tro- I know. <laughs> no, I remember being shocked that people didn't like the the first season. I, I although there were a, a few. You folks out there, what, and what was the knock on it? it? Was too dark. My thing about the first season was that it was so relentlessly, punishingly grim, and I it was don't about grief. Yeah, it, and I don't. But I think that the thing that makes darkness interesting is when there's some light there too. I think that people, you know, and Damon has said this when he's talked about the change from season one to two, is that he was remembering that people laugh at funerals even when it's inappropriate. And I think it he found the right calibration in the second and third season, and it was calibrated to a type of just raw emotion that is almost unprecedented on television. And it was emotion that was all the full rainbow of emotions. It was not just grief. It was all the messy other stuff that goes with it. And in addition to being a character study and a weird head trip, and those last two, the 
the craftsmanship in terms of writing, especially. It's so good, yeah. Especially once you get to that third season where it's just like this jewel box. Every episode was worked over and worried over it, but it doesn't feel and it almost felt strained like, for it. It feels all the better for it. Didn't it almost feel like every episode was a bottle episode? Yeah. It was just so, this hard. Especially, especially the, the second two seasons. Yeah. yeah. I had a conversation with uh, Allison Herman over at the office about the combination of like the Tom Parada suburban malaise mm-hmm. sensibility meeting Damon's kind of high concept stuff. And how that, how the the tension of that was really like one of the driving forces behind that show because a lot of that show is and does become, you know, basically trying to recreate family out of like the sort of shattered pieces of of what's left after this event. And those two things are always constantly kind of like up against each other there. So Leftovers is on your list as well. It's number… It it was… I had said it already, right? Nine. I was waiting for… Okay. So that's four for you. My four is Better Call Saul. What can we do for you, Jimmy? The money is beside the point. Money is the point. Does this stream payday to you, huh? You know, Jimmy, in our line of work, you can get so caught up in the idea of winning that you forget to listen to your heart. Okay, so this is a show that I didn't- On anyone else's list? Nobody here has Better Call Saul on their list? Overlooked once again, even by me. Wow. Let me just say Better Call Saul- to me, the craftsmanship, it's like what I was trying to say about Mindhunter, craftsmanship off the charts, amazing, the writing, the performances, the filmmaking, everything. I don't care about Doc Review. I don't, I don't care about, I don't so that's care what, about, that's the, how I, felt I don't care about what the seasons. story's about. The first two seasons, I felt that way. I think in the last two seasons, it's unparalleled. Like the last season, I would put up against almost anything last on TV. Is so good. And really I, 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 I think, and to be fair, I've not seen I've seen three episodes of the last season. I didn't continue on, but I'll, I'll have the, to, the, when the, it hits Netflix, whatever, just do it. I'll revisit. It's it's just been I, for all the reasons Sam said. And then once you get out of like the doc review stuff, which I think is challenging, but is also like I I can't believe they made a show about doc review for two seasons. This it's is so fucking amazing. It's like a lot of what you watch is like people highlighting papers. So I, I, I've, I've, I've talked a lot about Better Call Saul recently. It, I was a latecomer. I'm a convert. The first two seasons can be viewed differently after seeing the second two seasons. So that's my number four. What's your number four? Fargo. Fargo. So I'm getting excited about that seminar. The witch? Life spring. Everybody's doing it. Got us a room at the Sheraton. I don't know. We're saving up right now so Ed can buy the butcher shop. We got a plan, you know? The word we is a castle hung with a moat and a drawbridge. Don't be a prisoner of we. Find him. Where's my brother? Are you listening to me? Is he listening to me? He cut off his ears. He's dead. I think. And... I loved every season, including the third. I, I I actually don't still don't quite understand the knock on the third season. The third one's the Ewan McGregor season. Yeah, I think that was great. The second season obviously is the best season. It's a masterpiece. Yeah, it'd, it'd um, be top five seasons of the decade for sure. Absolutely, absolutely. And and I mean the fact that he could reboot at a different with different cast of characters, a different storyline, and then on top of and even a different time period. And continually be that funny and that thrilling because it's not just, uh, it's not just uh, to me. It wasn't. It never felt just like a ripoff of the Coen Brothers. He was definitely taking a different skew on it, and it's just 
a pleasure to watch from episode to episode. And they do the similar thing that Leftovers does, which is almost feels like a bottle episode. They do these shifts and these pans between mm-hmm. different characters. There's one of the things that I think is the most inspirational for making Briar Patch was this, that second season and the elasticity of the storytelling oh. where he doesn't, and this is the thing that I learned in being in a room with him, like the first day where I was like, for, for a different project where I pitched a Busby Berkeley musical number and I didn't know you weren't really maybe supposed to do that. And he was like, yes, we should do that. Why don't we do that? There is no reason not to. Here, because here, if it's the best vehicle to tell the story you want to tell, then yeah. chase it. It's also incredibly witty. Yeah, I mean, I Fargo? Th- oh, yeah. yeah. And I, I don't see that a lot. I think it's, I, I get that a lot of dramas, especially they add humor to, to, to add levity. But there's something just a little more clever about Fargo, just a little sharper, a little smarter. You know, like the one-liners aren't just to get me to laugh, but they're also to get me to think. It's 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 great. Is it any, is it on your list? It's not on my list, but the, the second season would be is it any, on anyone's list? list. I know it's on your list because no, and not on my. Do you did you watch it though? No, <laughs> not one not one episode. What's I think I might have watched. Half of the first season, and you didn't. What the first app, season what app was open when you were watching. <laughs> <laughs> Did you actually ever see the film Fargo? Yeah, I have watched the film Fargo. It's and good. Do, oh, you do. okay. she doesn't think there should be a TV show based on a masterpiece like that. Oh, <laughs> yes, exactly. Kyle, what's your number four? Uh, my number four is BoJack Horseman. Hey! Everyone is just out to get me because I'm famous and so well adjusted. Yeah, it's me. Straight off your TV screens and into your shitty lives. It's Andrew Garfield! Oh, hello. Ah! What the? My book's coming out soon. Jump into the door! You don't even respect me not to have a baby with me. I never explicitly said that. Oh, isn't he the cutest baby you ever saw? What? 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 No, no, what? <laughs> I was wondering if that was going to show up. Yeah. It'd it's- be an honorable mention for me, probably. It's extremely smart, extremely like, uh, extremely funny. Uh, I think it goes a lot of really surprising places, and it's yeah, it's just well done. I could see that show could have been after a couple seasons, they could have been like, let's make this into Family Guy or Simpsons. Yeah, exactly. Like they could have just had each year. There's no character growth or anything. It's like this guy get this guy's like a drunken lout. He's got like all these people in his mist and we're just going to do one-liner, one-liner, bit, bit, gag. And then they made it into this pretty affecting character study. Yeah, exactly. It literally like is following someone as they like deal with the repercussions of their actions. They, you, so I feel like you so rarely get to see people on TV get better. Yeah, especially and not horses. Not, definitely not horses. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, it doesn't go in the other like direction of other animated sitcoms. I'm about where luck as an example of a show, those horses did not have <laughs> horses did not get better. Much of a character. Wait, arc. what were you saying, Kaya? It doesn't go like in the family. It doesn't stoop to the family guy level. It doesn't have to be like animated doesn't have to be like gross and dirty and just playing for laugh after laugh after laugh. It can be smart and funny. It can use the tools of animation to go in places that like live TV can't. And in some of the ways in which like I think, you know, we've talked a little bit about like our ability to process darkness or deal with darkness on like a week week basis, there's a distancing mechanism by having all the these animals acting out this very human pain that I think makes it a little bit easier to process in these bites. What's your number three? I love animals on TV. <laughs> it's, it's a recurring theme. Um, okay, so now we're in the top three, and I, this is like pick them for me because these are the most, by, I've, it's in my mind, the most incredible achievements of the decade, and I love them all. And there were versions of this list where 
each one was in the top spot. I ended up putting, much to Sam's chagrin, look, he's waiting, look, he's leaning forward, Twin Peaks, The Return on at, the, at, at number, number three. three. The reason That's why, and I almost kind of, and I kind of slashed it too. We're mad because it's too low. Twin Peaks, The Return is like the 2001 of this deck. It, uh, it, it, and it's not going to be on your list at all, right? The, no. It is the best. And it's not going to be on your list at all. And it, it, it's, that to me is the thing that I was like. Here's my caveat. Oh, go ahead. It's the best thing I saw on TV it's, this decade. It's, it's the most moving thing. It's the most inspiring thing. It's the best thing. I kind of wanted to make the list lean more towards this older, maybe older-fashioned version of TV. I, I, I and know, think, man. And it's hard I to know. compare what Twin Peaks was as a singular achievement. And I also kind of slashed it with Top of the Lake because Top of the Lake was also super meaningful Jesus to me and inspirational Christ. to me. You can't even give Twin Peaks a spot it, on Ted's It's its own, own thing. This is, this is like peak, though. Like, you, you got to get your thing, but you also, like, threw Top of the Lake on there. Well, at That's the end, I was little, like, I have to put Terriers on the list, and I ran out of space. It's a little unfair. You guys let me make the rule. Doesn't make any sense. And to do it with Twin Peaks, that's just offensive. Look, let let yeah, go ahead, go ahead. No, are we talking about Twin Peaks yeah. now? Yes, because it's number it. one. You it's obviously it. number one on my list by a mile. It's not even close. It's an achievement in every. It's it's what I was talking about. It is an experience unlike anything else, and it angers me to no end that it doesn't. I mean, I remember the hype and I remember the reviews, and it was off the charts, and then it just like went away. And I don't think people talk about it. It's not on anyone uh, else's uh, It's not on uh, uh, your list, right, Chris or Kaya's, right? And I, I just, to me, that's galling. Like, I, I don't get it. I don't get it. Were it, you a it, Twin Peaks fanatic before the third, this, the return? Yes. Well, okay. you know, I have problems with the second season. When the, right. You know, the, but the, the, the mythology of the show, the, the sort of... I love the David Lynch episodes of the second season. I, I didn't know. I've talked about this before in the podcast. I love Twin Peaks so completely and utterly more than any, like, well, see, I'm not that. It dominated not, my life. And I didn't know at age 12, 13, 14, whatever that, like, it was. They had moved Lynch off of it. I didn't know you could dis, if you love something, I didn't have the critical facilities to be like, well, th- I still love it, but I like this less. I was just like, give me more of it. Give me more of it. That's how it's, I felt about Night Court. That's that how time. my children <laughs> feel about outtakes from Frozen 2. Like, it's just <laughs> like, give me all of this because it's all the thing that I love. And so going back, yes, yeah, season two definitely dragged. That is funny. Whatever, I wonder, that's but, almost like the mirror phase. You know, it's like when you rec- you recognize yourself for yeah. the first time. It's like, when is the first time you're like, the show's not as good as it used to be? Because like at first you're just like, I can't believe that I love this family so much. Like you're watching a sitcom or something. I just want to watch this every week. And then like, when's the first time you're like, that wasn't as funny as it used to be. Right. Or that's not as like, I, like, I wonder when that happens well, for most people. That, that to me happened very early with anything I used to watch. And that's kind of why I don't, I didn't love the television model of, okay, I get it. They're going to solve the fucking crime at the end of this episode in the same, at this, literally at the same time code right. out of the episode. The law and order thing. Yeah. yeah. I love hanging out with these people, but I, I can't, I can't the, anymore with this the thing. The place that Twin Peaks, I mean, every piece of it is valuable. Every piece of the journey is just it's, incredible and astounding. But specifically the end for people who made it that far, and we're not going to spoil it if it can be spoiled. Did something it's, emotionally uh, and narratively that has I don't think is it's without equal. And I think about it. I still think about it all the time. And my thought is not, oh, I hope they make a fourth season to resolve this. My thought is, how did they reach this place in me emotionally by telling a detective story without end? And I still feel deeply satisfied and deeply challenged by. It. And 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 if you were to do a best episodes of the decade, yeah, eight would be eight would be number one by far. But there's. Four other episodes that would probably take up my top ten. I, I'm not joking. Like that's how 
phenomenal this show is from every level. And it's a master at work. I, I, I By the way, would probably say it's one of the best things he's ever done, Lynch. I agree. I, I, I also think that this is every year when we do some version of this podcast, I try to, and maybe Chris tries to get a little cute too, but like try to not game the system or rig it, but like try to make it like we're still writing the long essay for Grantland. And I'm like, well, but I have to cover these, these bases and I want to make this point. And that's why I was like, well, if this decade was about these individual artistic achievements, maybe more so than the ongoing series model, I just don't think Twin Peaks and Top of the Lake, which are not equal in quality, though I love them both, were singular auteurist achievements by the person making them, Jane Campion, in the case of Top of the Lake and Twin Peaks. And you, and you and, liked Top of the Lake season two a lot. I really liked it. It's n- it's nothing. It's not nearly as good as, as season yeah, one. Yeah, I didn't finish that. And also, I, I never saw it. Yeah. I never saw the first season. Couldn't make a list without the mayor of television, um, Elizabeth Moss, on it. Amazing That's right. Performance in Top of the Lake. Uh, so number three is Twin Peaks for you. Mm-hmm. Number three for me is Succession. What's yours? Number three. This is this is going to be controversial. Oh, number three. This is I love so. Controversy. If I were to do uh, a best show, best shows of the. 2019 euphoria already so it'd be my number one number two was because they had such a perfect second season and honestly it got canceled but the first the the, the, both seasons are great but the second season just took it to another level the oa number three i want you to close your eyes I want you to imagine everything I tell you as if you're there yourself. As if you're with me. As if you are me. I didn't disappear. I was present for all of it. The biggest mistake I made was believing that if I cast a beautiful net, only beautiful things. Fuck yeah, Sam. Go for it, man. Wow. Yeah, How is your protest going? So let me just say, because you know what? Here, here's the thing. Here's the thing. Let me just say this. I just, I just went on and on about Twin Peaks, right? David Lynch, who I've ripped off David. Every fucking filmmaker rips off David Lynch and it shows. Like you can tell. Oh, and no, everyone's like, okay, you're doing the David Lynch thing. You're being weird. But it's not, it's a little uh, it's a little like you're trying to rip off somebody else and not doing a great job of it. The OA is not trying to rip off David Lynch, but they are just as genuinely weird as David it Lynch. It is in sincerely my what it, like there's two things this year where it was the the OA season two and Too Old to Die Young, where I was like, I didn't think people could get away with this yeah. anymore. It's that's the th- and I guess it's just like one of those things where they're like, here's the ten hours, and they're like, thanks, we'll just we'll just upload this. But like, it is, it is unreal. That did they you put did that you up. see it? I did. Wow. I honestly did. Just really don't understand what happened at all in the second season. <laughs> I didn't see the second. And I'm like a pretty bright guy. What do you guy, need to like, understand anything for? I mean, I don't. Under, I, I I'm not going to sit here and understand everything that Twin Peaks to return. I think when the did. octopus showed up, I was just I like, fucking I, uh, loved it. I'm having I, this intense flashback, Sam, because we are your office where we are sitting right now used to be like the writers' room here. Yeah. And when we were working together for the first time on Metropolis was when OA season one was on. And and what was I saying? I think you came in and did the dance one day. 
I love that. No, I mean, but 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 I love that, and I remember being a little. I don't know if it made. It probably did make my top ten list that year, but it was, it was a, probably as high because I remember the first season. I was like, it was a little more conventional in how it was trying to like unravel for this the first mystery. part of it. Yeah, it's like, is she an angel? What's going but on? man, the second season. I mean, they they just let their hair loose, and it's fucking thrilling. And the other thing is, it's when not the octopus shows up. That's the that's the <laughs> what is it? You just. Uh, Chris just said when the octopus shows up. I mean, it's I haven't seen this. I mean, exa- that's that's my point. And yeah. that's not even the craziest thing that happens no. in that season. That's just when you're like, I don't know, I don't understand like what's going but on. But to anymore. me, it's not see to me, like, yes, there are shows there's like style over substance and you, you don't yeah, they're just doing fucked up shit and you're and, and you could tell they're just trying to shock you. I think it's really you could sense, at least for me, when I was watching it, this is there's they're saying something. They're emotionally invested in what they're showing Yeah, the right sincerity now. of the show and the, the lack of irony is, I think, in some ways really refreshing. It's fucking great. Kyle, what's your number three? My number three is Black Mirror. Great. Greenwald? Uh, I did my three. Did your three. My number three... Well, it was Succession, right? Is Succession. So number two to Sam. Atlanta. Atlanta's my number do two we, as well. Do we want... Oh, great. Atlanta's so my, num- my number one. Big Amazing. time. Kaya? Atlanta was my number seven. Seven. Okay. Right. 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 Do we right. talk? Let's talk about it. All right. Uh, I mean, we've done everyone else's number one. Or we have. I did Thrones. Well, I, mean, let me, I did let Twin me, Peaks. Yeah. Thrones and Peaks. Let's jump out of the. Let's jump out of order then, because every. What's your number? My two number two one? is Fleabag. You know when you've done everything. And you've even. Do you want to have sex? No. And you feel great. And even though your sister still hates you. Thank you. You're pretending to be friends because your dad is. I'm joking. He's just there. Here's to love. Let's do Fleabag because that's okay. my number two also. Just briefly. Oh, you started, Kaya, because. It was just, I don't think I've ever watched a show that left me feeling like I'd been like emotionally like flattened like that. Like I remember vividly like finishing it that night, like crying, going to bed and then like waking up and still feeling like really emotional about it. And it just like, it really stuck with me. And I don't know. It's sometimes when you're watching TV, I feel like in this time, it begins to become hard to like separate liking a show from like everybody likes this show and everybody's mm-hmm. talking about it. So it's like, am I think am I finishing Fleabag and wa- thinking about it so much because everybody is continuing to have a conversation about it and like it's online and like everybody's talking about it. And so it's, it's still on my mind or is it still on my mind because it was like genuinely was boring into you. Yeah. Yeah. And I think Fleabag, it's genuinely stayed with me because it was like really, really like uh, just really good, really well done. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think it is one of, I think season one is phenomenal. I love season one. I thought it, the writing is so uh, exhilarating and fresh and her performance is fantastic. And the journey and the surprise, like the trap door level of storytelling where you think you're watching one sort of thing that maybe feels a little familiar and mm-hmm. then actually you're watching an, a wrenching emotional tragedy and it can be all of those things at once. The idea that human experiences all of the emotions sometimes when you least expect them in an overwhelming way, like we were talking about The Leftovers, to see that in season one of Fleabag was one thing. I think season two is like a singular achievement. I think it is one of the greatest seasons of television ever made. And what it accomplishes and the profundity with which it says it, while also being fucking hilarious and charming and delightful and sexy and all the other things, I'm just, I'm totally floored by it. Think- and and I've, I've only watched it once and I am very much in the minority from people who love it, who use the, because the delivery method matters and we're talking about that. And the fact that it's, 
you know, six uh, half hour episodes. Not even like 20 something. Shorter. My, I mean, my wife has watched it multiple times. And but think about everything that happens in that in those six episodes. And it's like, that's enough for any, I mean, like all the stuff going on at like Claire's job and like all the little things, like the little plot lines that happen in that, in that season. And what you really think about obviously is, is Fleabag and the Priest. But there's plenty of stuff stuffed into that second season that's like... It's so crazy because I, I love the first season of Fleabag, which, by the way, did not get talked a lot talked about a lot at the time. But That was a slow burn. That was, I, I see, I loved year, it. I, I, thought, I, thought it was, uh, I thought it was crazy. Time Another case, though, where I think that people were looking at those as discrete things right. and like actually season two makes season one all the more profound and vice versa. Well, so my issue with season two, and again, I love... Everyone involved. I love the writing, the directing, and I love all the actors. And what, what, forgive me, what's the actor's name that plays the priest? Andrew Scott. Brilliant. I just, Hall of Fame performance. I just, I loved his performance. I just did not, for whatever reason, I was not understanding why this relation i mean and people call me crazy it's like he's the hot priest i didn't i didn't get it well no i, I think that that's get, actually gets I, at i think that's a lot of the times when shows get talked about and i think that this is partially because of like you know you see somebody in passing or you're not trying to really get into like incredibly uncomfortable material with somebody on a one-to-one basis at like the figurative water cooler but this is a show about god it's a show about faith it's a show about what love actually is and what it looks like and those are complicated things to discuss so i think a lot of the times people are using a shorthand of like hot priest for her speech about you know like the speech that that she gives at the wedding is like oh that pretty much but so i'm you know weirdly romantic comedies is like i that's one of my favorite genres i i grew up watching i want to have my heartstrings sure Tug that and I for that speech. I, I remember leaning into my laptop. Please feel like I wanted to feel something. I just because I wasn't really invested. What was in open room. on your laptop when you were watching the television? <laughs> <laughs> I think that's the problem. I, but I, the Mueller report. We, we, uh, it's been a busy year. We we should begin to wrap this up. But I have to do this because it, it's one of the things that I think is worth mentioning about Fleabag season two. It's so interesting and so um, exciting potentially for the future of television because it's not done very often or very well. It's something that a show we're not supposed to talk about, Sam, your show has done also, which is Breaking of the Fourth Wall. Um, which and, they did and, way better. And I loved, see, I, that, that's another thing. I loved that point where he was noticing that she was doing it. Yeah. But then I felt like I wasn't that what was the I wonder if that's actually like some maybe what you're getting at here is like the very best part about that show is that it it understood the temporality of like our attention span and like yeah you it, can get so invested and I think we could talk about Atlanta in the same way where it's like you're watching this episode and you're just like I feel smart. like I've been like I'm so fucking locked into this that segues and then so, he's really I good mean at this. God but, damn but I think that like Smooth. we often talk about these things in in a kind of like I'm a busy guy. And like, it's really important that these shows are only 25 minutes because I absolutely <laughs> work for Waystar Royco. Get on fucking Twitter and look at, see if Maggie Haberman has said anything in the last five minutes. But like, in reality, like these shows are actually like dialed into what do you actually need to see? What do you actually need to know and hear and feel about these people that you can do in this amount of time rather than just an hour because we decided we needed four commercial breaks? You know I mean? Like that, these kinds of things are arbitrary. And I think Atlanta and Fleabag get to the point. 
And they get to the point sometimes by not getting to a point at all. Exactly. That's the, that's the thing about Atlanta is it gets to the point, but it takes its time. Yeah. This is Paperboy, and you're tuned into the Fresh Mix rap playlist. Long live fresh. Let's do it again. And just like this time, like you're at a party and everything's crazy. <laughs> and and you enjoy it taking it, its time. And that is, that's when you know it's won you over. The, the thing that I love about, about I'll say about, about Mr. Robot and Fleabag was this, it actually, both your, your show and, and Phoebe's show address the intimacy we feel with television, address directly the comfort level we can feel with things being piped directly to us on our couches. And I think that's, that's really exciting. And it's confronting the medium head on in a way that feels very of the moment and relevant to the way we engage with things. The thing about Atlanta and what makes it, I think, you know, the masterpiece of the decade and it's exciting that there's more to come is that it doesn't feel like it came in any way from anything that came before. Right. It is so completely removed from any strand of television DNA that it feels separate from everything else on any of our lists. And I think about how hard that is, not just as a creator or someone trying to make it in the industry to say, I'm just going to do something sideways. I'm going to get my friends in a house, some of my friends who usually I just make music with, and I'm just going to make this show and you're going to put it on the air. But I think back to one of the first meetings that we had, Sam, when I was, you, you read the Briar Patch script and you were like, you liked it. And you're like, so what happens in season two? And I was like, well, in season two, Allegra <laughs> Dill will get involved with the, the border issue with some, per- and I was like, I immediately became the most conservative person right. in the medium because I thought maybe that's what people wanted to hear because I wanted to make this. And you were like, why would, you, why would she have another murder? That's dumb. And I was like, that's really important because I probably said something like that in a review two months prior. Right. And right. Then as soon as I was in my turn in the barrel, I was like, what do you want? Do you, do you want a spinoff? I'll do a spinoff. There was something natural about wanting to please this, you know, more conservative right. way of thinking. And Atlanta just says fuck you to that entire way of thinking every week. I agree with that. And actually, this kind of, this kind of reminds me of a conversation I have with my little brother. So he's, he's a huge fan of The Watch. I've tried to discourage that we're, from we're a huge fan of Sam <laughs> um, he's a member of the family check who, out the and he then. kept asking me so when are you when are you going on the pod when you, I, I want to hear your top 10 in uh, 2019 I said well you know we're doing the decade we're not going to do 2019 then so then he obviously goes off and makes his list of, right, the, of course and he sh- shares it with me and number two is Mr. Robot and I was like, how fucking dare you? How the fuck is it not number one? And number one is Atlanta. Like, <laughs> how the fuck is it not number one? How dare you? And one thing he said, which I, and I, and I totally own to, and this is why I love the OA. This is why I love Atlanta. And this is why Twin Peaks, that's why they're the num- top three. It is, his, his remark was, let me just to finish that point. Sam, you reference a lot of shit, Mr. Robot. It take borrows from a lot of the stuff that you watch growing up. Atlanta just doesn't feel that way. It's wholly unique. It feels like more it, like it's referencing real life. Yeah. And that it's then synthesized into this creative experience that seems to be not influenced by anything but but real life. Yeah. Oh, and casually and out of the four actors, three of them might be the best actors of yeah. their generation. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just like yeah. low-key and, 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 the, and the directors, including Donald oh, Glover Hero and Hero Donald Mariah, are, like are just off the charts talented and amazing and framing shots and playing with sound and music in a way that that other shows and films don't don't do it that to me is this to to be that good and that unique at the same time that to me is the hat trick you the, know the, the um 
disparity that we're, we've been talking about is this idea of comfort. I mean, part of the serialized television, comfort is built into it. You kind of, even if you want to be challenged week to week, you want, that's comforting to know what you're going to get week to week. But the hardest trick to pull off is to feel comfortable in uncertainty. And with Atlanta, we trust them. And they've, they've just, they've Atlanta just could delivered. be anything. It could be season. anything every week. And we know that. Yeah. And that makes us feel excited and ready to sit See, down and that's the in. exciting. What Chris just said was that's the exciting thing about Atlanta. I have no fucking clue what they're doing in season three right. or se- or season four. Apparently, I think they're doing that. They're doing them both. Yeah. yeah, but that's fuck. How many how many shows can you say that about? I mean, even to you to to, to one of your favorite even Black shows, Mirror Succession is sort of has to play. Succession, by, you kind of know what you're going to get. Yeah, but next even season. like something like Black Mirror, which can or, literally or, or have different Black actors Mi- and li- a different you genre, know what it's you're still or, kind or, of like. Yeah, you're right. I bet you didn't know this was yeah. bad for you. Or you Game know, like, of Thrones or, or Watchmen. You know, or Watchmen. because, because well, even if the thing that you you know is going to happen is there's going to be some searing emotional you sure. know, unpacking because that's what Damon does. Even when it surprises me. See, I think Atlanta me, can do that one week. It can do that too. Or it could do that for a whole season. It did. It did it with pa- yeah. Paperboy. Yeah, absolutely. Mother. Yeah, right. The Woods episode. Yeah. All right, so we've talked, Fleabag's your number two, two. Atlanta number one. You have Atlanta high. And number two, Twin Peaks number one. I have Atlanta two, Game of Thrones one. One A is Baby Yoda gifts. <laughs> Just like a big post of Baby Yoda gifts. Too many cooks deserves What's a shot. What's your two and one? I really have to be the last reveal. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, my number one was Veep. What colossal fuck-up are we dealing with this morning? You said you had it covered. It's your job to know that if I say I have it covered, I don't have it covered, and you cover me. This is what happens when you tell the truth. Nothing good comes of it. Publish everything. They won't have time to read everything. I mean, you, you can't read everything. I don't read half the stuff I'm supposed to. The level of incompetence in this office is staggering. Liam Miller, NASA. That's an acronym for National Aeronautics. Right, stop it. Oh. I'm vice president. I like this room. This is great. Yeah, it's a it's a presidential suite. Vice presidential, anyway. <laughs> How are you feeling? Well, I'm a political leper, and I'm an emotional time bomb. So here's an idea. Let's put me on stage. Oh, Whoa! wow. We forgot so Kaya said this to me. I I said I was very proud of myself because I was like, yeah, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna go parts unknown. And Kaya was like, oh. Where would parts of none been? It would have been like five. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and I was like, I was going to go part. And she was like, well, but you know, you're not supposed to put unscripted stuff in there. And I was like, shit. I remember the rules. Kaya and then <laughs> Kaya was, and I was like, you know, and then she was like, beeps, beeps at the top. And I was like, God damn it. It's a, I, it's a good one. I might have been wrong, you know? I definitely overthought it. Veep is probably. It's just so, uh, it's so consistently good. It's so funny. Julia Louis-Dreyfus is just like, basically, the, maybe the best, like, TV, at least, comedic actress of all time. I don't even know if you have to put the qualifiers on it. Yeah. yeah. And, like, I, w- I mean, I also have, like, personal connection to it. Like, as I was telling Chris on the way over here, I started watching it when I was in college and political science major. And so, like, I just, like, found all of the jokes, like, really prescient and funny. And I think also the fact that towards the end, it became less of, like, a satirical, like, oh, my God, this is how government could act. It became more of, like, this is how our fucking government's acting. And this is like real life. Then and it, it became, handled- don't you wish this was how our government Well, weirdly, <laughs> can I say, weirdly, that to me, and it's, it's through no fault of their own, right? They're doing amazing work and it's incredibly hilarious. But the Trump thing killed it for I, me a yeah, little bit. I, I don't, I, I, sadly. I, I think that it's it, one of the most amazing things about Veep to me is that it's two different shows distinctly. There's the Ian Uchi version from the first few seasons. That's true, yeah. And then there's the David Mandel version. And the fact that both 
were Emmy award-winning and amazing. And that they were essentially, if you really look at it, totally different shows. I think the Inucci show, which was this very, very arch satirical uh, vision of, of just power and waste, basically, would have had more to say about the Trump era than the second version of Veep that actually coincided with it, which just became a savage savage joke machine. Yeah. I mean, it was just, it just a turned bunch. just the dial up all the way. It was just a bunch of like aging in a good way, graying, what maturing comedy What did Jonah have in the last writers. season? Did he have measles? <laughs> yeah, he had measles because he refused to get vaccinated. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, worthy, a worthy number one. Uh, so what, And so that's it. We've done it. Yeah. We've done it. I, we should say to the people who've made it to the end, the other rule for this, it wasn't just that we weren't to talk about Sam's show. Sam asked us not to talk about the current season of Mr. Robot this either with him. This is true. Despite people in the, the Watch Facebook group. It is it is now becoming a little bit annoying. Agitating for <laughs> yeah. it. Saying, what are you even doing wasting your time talking about these other shows? And we say, we don't listen to our fans. I'll say, I'll, I'll tweet out like, really, I really had a great time recording this NBA podcast. And I get responses of like, when are do, you talking about robots? Do you, you have any message to the watch fans who wish? I agree with you about? all watch fans. They're ridiculous. Will you come on and do a, an in-review with us? I in, don't, in I, you know, I'll tell you, I don't. Or are you wa- just going to go to the Bahamas and never? Yeah, like, well, that, no, again? that is true. Not the Bahamas, but somewhere equally as nice. But I will say, I don't think I want to. I think... When you do it, when you wrap up a series like this and you start giving away all the answers, I would rather let that speak for itself. Okay. I, I think to try and like, you know, explain it and connect the dots. Yeah, it's not like David Lynch is on podcasts, right? Exactly. <laughs> that, that is true. <laughs> Has he ever been on your podcast? He has definitely not. No, I, uh, you, I, I talked to you about this when I, I hosted a you screening met, yeah, exactly. with him and, and Kyle McLaughlin and Laura Dern, and he just wouldn't play. I mean, he just doesn't do it. You just, I, 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 finally, I was reduced to asking him questions like, you know, working with these people you've known for 30 years and bring everyone back and the emotion in it. I was mentioning the people who he'd worked closely with who died just after production. And I was trying to get him to just at least sum up the emotional piece of it. And he just looked at me and he looked at the audience Gangster. and he just said, solid gold. <laughs> That's the way you do it. That's the way you do it. <laughs> That's you got to start doing stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, solid gold. Well, let, let me just say this, because uh, I, I do have one honorable mention, which I don't yeah. think any of us talked about. I thought it was going to be, might be on your list. Yeah. I think better things is like a hidden gem out there. I don't, do you guys watch that, it? That's high on people's lists. I, I have not really committed no. to it. I've never seen it. Legends, but I watch better things. Yeah, I like it. But you don't, you don't, it's, it's not, not. It wasn't like up in. The, I think it's so underrated. I think it's such a great show. My my wife loves that show. What some other honorable mentions? Um, a Veep should have been on my list probably. Veep uh, was definitely uh, Rectify. I never saw You're the worst. The Young Pope. Honorable Woman. Remember that we loved Honorable For Woman. For sure, yeah. Uh, also, in terms of like the happy endings comedy slot, first few seasons of New Girl were exceptionally good comedy. Yeah, I would have put Little Drummer Girl up ah, pretty high on my so good. good show. And I probably would have if it had started in 2010. I think like Eastbound and Down would have been like top so we were so ready so to dark. To, to do that. I just haven't seen the second season, but I was ready to consider that. Yeah, you, dark. you turned second- our, us and our our podcast listeners on to dark. Is the second season good? Did you guys see it? I did. I mean, I thought there's one episode in the second season that's the best episode they ever did. Wow. Uh, but there's also a lot of like... Not, we didn't put any foreign... This is, this is an American I, podcast. Last man. Panthers would be pretty high for me. Um, like there's a, there's a bunch of crime stuff from overseas. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess I'm Black Mirror. I guess I can say that. I guess yeah. that's... Sam, it's always a pleasure to do these This is you. fun. Thanks, man. Thanks, guys. For Sam Esmail, Kaya McMullen, Andy Grunewald. We'll see you next decade. <laughs>